This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by Rob Ferguson, one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling, where you can support this show, keep it 100% fan and listener supported, and ad free as well. You can get access to a whole bunch of extra audio goodies, such as our pay per view reviews going all the way back to SummerSlam 2015. As well as that, you can get access to pay per view classic, where Joe and I look at classic wrestling pay per views, most recently looking at good friends, better enemies from the In Your House series as well as loads of side ventures such as that the big show 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 and or how to revisited series you can also sponsor an episode of the podcast spots are available for upcoming episodes for any and all inquiries head over to our patreon page or how to wrestling at gmail.com but for now settle in shake some ropes and take a course at warrior university you'll need it to understand what the hell is going on here it's time for how to warrior friend and welcome to the episode of how to wrestling the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling how to get into wrestling how to understand wrestling and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling and today's a very special day indeed i had a look up in the old sky and the planets of the grimlock system have aligned and all the exit signs they no longer function because the fuse boxes and the exit signs have all blown it's how to warrior hello once again it's me your old pal the ultimate cowboy kevin mann Joined as I am always in this look back at all wrestlers and wrestling and the things that make the world of wrestling tick by the Dame of Distrucity herself, Joe Graham. Hello. How are you doing today, Joe? Mm, could be better. Yeah, the Ultimate Warrior. What's this all about then, huh? What do you reckon to this guy? Mm, I don't like him. Well, <laughs> now the lead has been sufficiently buried. <laughs> the Ultimate Warrior is something that loomed greatly over over wrestling, and I think still does to this day. The kind of it's almost like it's 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 something that's different to other wrestlers. Now I know we've talked a lot about the kind of the glitz and the glamour of eighties wrestling and all that, but the Ultimate Warrior. What did you know about him before we got into? the actual meat of the research here today. I didn't really know much, if anything, about him. I knew he was a homophobe. I feel that's like the main thing people say about Ultimate Warrior these days. Like, mm. he's not aged well, socially. Yeah. So I knew he was a homophobe. I didn't know, like, what he said or done or why he was a homophobe. I just knew that that was a fact. I knew I knew he wore face paint. Yeah. And he had tassely bits around his arms. And he was very, very ripped. Yes, huge body. Yeah. I mean, how would you describe the physique of the Ultimate Warriors? Is I mean, is there any comparisons in episodes we've done to anyone who looks like him, do you think? Oh, goodness. No, I don't think so. How would you describe the uh, the physique, then, of, of the Ultimate Warrior? Honestly, to me, he looks like someone who's wearing one of those inflatable muscle suits. <laughs> yeah. You know when like, people do like those... those fights at parties like they're dressed as sumos or big muscly men and it's yeah. like inflatable padding and stuff he looks like he's wearing one of those right so question i had for you you know you said that you'd heard oh the ultimate warrior you know homophobic tendencies and all that now obviously we're looking at a wrestler who made the majority of his career the late 80s and early 90s and 
we've had no shortage of wrestlers where we've went back and looked at their work and there's a lot of kind of dicey material in the promos or whatnot. Were you anticipating or did you expect from what you had heard that, oh, I hear people say this guy, Jim Helwig, the Ultimate Warrior, he's got some uh, hateful views. Did you think that was something that was like, oh, it's aged badly because of the wrestling character or him as a person? Did you, did that ever, was that clear to you before we did our research? No, and honestly, it's not even something I considered. I assumed it wasn't to do with his wrestling character just because WWE as a corporation have celebrated the Ultimate Warrior. Like they've got awards and things named after him. And just, I don't think they would take the risk of promoting a character who was homophobic in this day and age like i think they're smart enough to realize that would cost them money right so i figured it was something he did in his personal life but what i didn't understand was like there's lots of wrestlers as you say that we've covered who have been homophobic like aj styles aj styles but like also ones that maybe didn't get brought up in the original episodes or maybe they didn't i've forgotten but like scott hall for instance like he was involved in an angle with gold dust and he was homophobic about the whole thing Mm -hmm. and you know i'm sure there's countless other wrestlers who have similarly been homophobic but aren't tarnished with the brush of being homophobes right yeah but ultimate warrior very much is it's like the thing everyone will say about him now do you think that I mean, we will get into, obviously, the the details of all it as we go along, but, like, the Ultimate Warrior's standing in the world of wrestling. Like, do you feel it comes across now? Because a lot of people say that he's venerated and glorified. Mm. He mentioned awards and stuff like that. Like, being a wrestling fan the last few years, has his kind of, his name or or the character, has it kind of come up, do you think, very often? Not with fans, Mm. but definitely with the WWE. Like, they love him. They got a fucking raging hard on for the Ultimate Warrior, yeah. But also, they never show anything of his. Yeah. They never show his promos, they never show his matches. He's never really listed in, like, you know those clips where they're like, and these are all the legends from our history. He doesn't actually pop up really that often compared to, like, Hulk Hogan or Andre the Giant, say. Yeah, good example, yeah. And yet... As we, as, as I said, yeah, they they do. They have these the Ultimate Warrior Award or some kind of Battle Royale or something. Yeah, like. the, the Warrior Award, which right. they do, and his widow Dana Warrior, who we'll talk about a fair bit later on. Until recently, she was involved in a creative in WWE as well, like right, that. Okay, she's a brand ambassador for them and all that as well. So yeah, I mean. That's an intro. Well, Ultimate Creations Incorporated and WWE are very much like, you know, integrated as it stands. It seems to me like the brand of the Ultimate Warrior is what they really like rather than the character. Right. I mean, when you say the brand, what you mean like the colours and the colours, the, the name, the face paint and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, the face that. paint. Yeah, the fact that it's, it's very marketable. And like, as far as I know, even back in the day when. I might be wrong with this, but I believe they didn't used to do as heavy merchandising like in the 80s and 90s. I mean, they did, but not to the extent that they do right. now. I mean, obviously, you don't, you didn't ha- it was more kind of live event merchandise yeah. toys in the stores, whereas now it's this kind everywhere. of like everywhere, constant stream. And I know he was heavily merchandised, like the the, the masks you could get and everything. And- yeah, I mean, that's something I actually wanted to ask, you know, you now, seeing as we've, you've done it, we've done it. I'd say a, a disproportionate amount of research for Ultimate Warrior compared to some other wrestlers because it's really unfair, actually, Kevin. <laughs> I've, I've got a bone to pick with you. I don't like this. This is going to be two and a half hours of bone picking, yeah. let me tell you. But I feel that's because he's someone who has had 
varied rebrandings and not in the sense that he's going to be decided I'm going to rebrand myself it's not that it's that people have taken his intellectual property and decided right we're going to try and make it fit in this way yeah. or people have wanted to make you know rightly so points about him and his standing and what it says about wrestling and the morals or lack thereof and, and WWE but I wanted to know like just from you having watched quite a lot of stuff now and having to suffer through a lot of matches and promos and no less than three documentaries folks you said he's marketable. Can you describe the look, the vibe, the atmosphere, whatever you want to describe? What is the Ultimate Warrior? Who is the Ultimate Warrior as you understand it, like as a wrestling fan? Like what he looks like. Yeah. He's got big, bad hair. Like big <laughs> 80s hair. Sometimes he has a turf fringe. Yes, that's true. He has rocked the turf fringe. Because like, that's appropriate. He definitely would be a turf. Yeah. <laughs> and he wears like little panties and they are always like bright green. Everything he wears is neon. Like I said, he's got the tassels. He's got big biceps and loads of muscles and stuff. He's got face paint on him as well in the shape of like, I don't know, a bird or I don't know what it's supposed to be. Some some shape. It's the warrior symbol, Joe. Right. That's what they shine up in the sky. Where they actually did literally to summon him. To summon the warrior. That's what he used to do in WCW. And he runs in, that, you say, running, shaking the ropes. Tell me a little bit about that then. Because I mean. Well, I didn't know this before we watched the matches. Yeah, okay. But. Yeah, his entrance is apparently, like, the most significant thing about his character, basically. Which is that he would run in to his entrance. Sprint, I would yeah, say, yeah. properly leg it. And then he would come in and shake the ropes, like, really aggressively. Yeah. And that would be it. That's, like, kind of most of what he is, really. The matches, what type of, what type of style is the Ultimate Warrior known for? I mean, are we talking, like, we're going back to your know, 80s and 90s, so are we... Matt Classic, Ric Flair, Macho Man, Randy Savage, Master Psychology, or or what? What is the Ultimate Warrior's styling? This is the thing, right? So I I didn't know what to expect with his wrestling style because legends. It's really hard to understand what type of wrestling or what type of wrestler they are mm. just from their just from their legacy. Right. Yeah. So, like for example, like Ric Flair or Bret Hart, they're talked about as legends. And yet they're not put over in the same way that like Hulk Hogan is, even though Hulk Hogan doesn't really wrestle very well. Yeah. So Ultimate Warrior, I didn't know where he lay on the spectrum. What if of... he was in the charisma or technical ability? Yeah. Because yeah. those two, I mean, I always find it very interesting that he kind of Dusty Rhodes, even though he is Mr. Charisma, for instance, he would probably, people would want to put him in the bracket of like the, the Bretts or the Ric Flairs. But like, I would put Rick in also, he's charismatic. But that's it, I put Rick in the category of like, well, I say he's even more charismatic than Hulk Hogan, oh, even absolutely. though people say he's the most charismatic of all time. So. Did the warrior have charisma? I mean, I guess it's going to be my question. People say he did. I disagree. I mean, the bits I've seen, he didn't seem charismatic. Like, he had intensity. Yeah. Is intensity like, is a fair word to use? Yeah, but like intensity in the same way that like a toddler who's eaten too much <laughs> sugar has intensity. Like, it's kind of like, whoa there, have a nap. Just <laughs> calm down. He looks like he's like one or two beats away from getting sick at any moment yeah. in time usually. And, and that. I guess the other thing as well about the Warriors that even, you know, some of the matches we watched obviously went against that style, but most of his style is the Ultimate Warrior. I think in terms of in-ring, the closest we've had on an episode is probably someone like Goldberg in that yeah. Warrior would, you know, he would belt to the ring and he would smash people in like, you know, 30, 40 seconds or very, very quickly, very briefly, the match would be very often, and that would be it. He'd be kind of, he'd be in and out nice and quick. Yeah, I'd say he lies 
on the overlap between like on a Venn diagram of Hulk Hogan and Goldberg. <laughs> no, not like that. Someone imagining the most charismatic, intense wrestler yeah, of all time. No, the worst bits of each. <laughs> in that he's lazy like Hogan, I think. Mm. Which is I don't know, maybe people would disagree because he's like very intense and he's got loads of energy. But I, th- I do think he's lazy in certain ways. Oh, I think he can have intensity and laziness as well. Right? Yeah. That's and definitely I true. I don't think he's talented at wrestling or cares about wrestling the way like the Hulk Hogan also doesn't. Mm. But unlike Goldberg, he also doesn't have any ability to wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> he is someone who we've obviously had a bit of a time here, as you, you can imagine from the offset trying to kind of put a pin about where it is he lays in the world of wrestling because it's very easy just to go he's racist he's a homophobe he's a piece of shit and that's the end of that see you later next time on how to wrestling but he's someone who not only had a huge impact through the golden age of wrestling but because of the circumstances of his passing and because of some decisions that have been made before he passed it feels like the ultimate warrior is a brand and a thing that wrestling fans i should say wwe fans are going to have to tolerate i i would imagine until the end of time it feels like at this point so mm. we really have to kind of figure out and go in why is he venerated the way he is but in that very specific way that he is as you said very little in terms of WWE showing you his promos or actual footage of him or the man or wanting you to know yeah. much about his past and all that like i didn't know of any of like famous feuds involving him yeah were like oh it's iconic like he had this amazing feud with bloody blue like i've never heard of anything like that but wwe will still talk your ear off about the ultimate warrior in kind of a vague sense yeah. that allows them to kind of be i guess philanthropic and charitable which the more we get into this it's going to seem like borderline inappropriate and at, po- at points just like flat wrong yeah to use this man i was going to ask you as well at the offset is there a wrestler that we've ever covered who seems to have been universally hated by his peers mm. quite in the same way as the ultimate warrior i didn't even realize until we watched the the final documentary the self-destruction that he was hated by his peers because Mm. why would he be so celebrated in the industry and in the company of wwe if all of his fellow wrestlers don't think he's any good and don't even like him as a person yeah it is interesting because you know in wrestling very often there is the kind of the camaraderie and all that and it's kind of you know the much like in married at first sight australia the sanctity of the boys night and all that you know there is this kind of sense that all the wrestlers particularly in the 80s and early 90s it feels like the wrestlers are all kind of in it together living this kind of strange lifestyle and we all kind of had each other's backs like you know the story of oh hogan of course had his own dressing room Mm. but you know he'd let the other guys come in and share his beer and stuff like that that's the thing like hogan he was one of the boys in a way because he had his own little clique. Yeah, that's it. And like he was, you know, it was a, you know, wrestling was a bit of a popularity contest, and he was Mr. King, head boy. And also, Hogan had a lot of fans in wrestling who became wrestlers then. Mm. Like I know Edge was a big Hogan yeah, fan. Yeah. Whereas I don't know of any wrestlers now who grew up loving the ultimate warrior yeah like that's their kind of guiding light or like i want to be just like ultimate warrior i want to be i've never heard anyone say i want to be the next ultimate warrior in wrestling yeah. for instance yeah it, it is a tale of isolation it's a tale of you know anxiety depression it's a tale of selfishness and a tale of 
unprofessionalism a lot of the time. Now, we watched three documentaries, as we said. There was two that came out recently. There was the Dark Side of the Ring effort, which was called Becoming Warrior, which kind of tried to focus a little bit on the man behind the paint, a little bit about kind of Jim Helwig himself, and specifically through the tales of his relationship with his ex-wife, they tried to tell the story of this man who was kind of riddled with anxiety, who went on to make kind of some selfish choices and whatnot. There was also the WWE-produced A&E Biography Channel special on The Ultimate Warrior, which we watched as well, which was done with the approval and the seal and the branding of Dana Warrior, Ultimate Creations Incorporated at WWE. Very much a cleaner version of events, let's just say. Mm. Although I was shocked to see the extent at which they showed you vulnerabilities, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. It seemed quite petty. Yeah, like, it, was, it wasn't as nice as I thought it would be to the warrior. No, like I feel like Vince had a little hand in that, like saying like, oh, yeah, I don't really care about the homophobic stuff. We can we can not mention that. But I want to mention this one time when he insulted me personally. Yeah, you may be sitting at home thinking, all right, I've watched the self-destruction and we have as well. And we'll be going through it shortly. And, you know, there might be folks as well who think I'll check out the dark side of the ring because it's, you know, it's third party. It's independently minded and might have a bit more journalistic integrity. The WWE A and E doc, it is a bit of a puff piece. Like it is kind of fluffy in nature. But the fact that they show you this footage where you get to see the warrior with the camera left on a few seconds before he does his promo or mm. a few seconds after he does his promo and to see this guy riddled and crippled with self-doubt was yeah. mind-blowing for me. You know, I never thought that he had it in him, for lack of a better term. <laughs> the depth. The depth, yeah. I mean, still waters run deep, but I don't know what we can say about the Ultimate Warrior in terms of running deep or not. A big shout-out to my main man, Adam, who, over on Twitter, sent me a copy of the Ultimate Warrior Self-Destruction DVD, which is no longer commercially available or available on the network and has been described in the past as a hit piece, a hit job, an assassination piece, and a hit and run job. And also by Dana Warrior as... I've never seen it, but if I did, I would have I killed someone. And, and, and the Warrior said to me, don't, don't watch it because you'll kill someone and you'll be justified in having killed someone. Now, I was sitting down watching this with you, expecting that we were going to get apps. You know, I'd seen this way back in the day. It was less of a hit piece than it really... Oh, yeah. Then I think the myth of this DVD seems to have superseded it. I don't know. What did you think? Yeah. I mean, I know he watched it and was really upset. And I think maybe that has caught... Like, that and the very catchy title has meant that people have just assumed that it's a really cutting, scathing hit piece. I mean... It is, but it's not as if, like... Like, it is scathing. But just because you got a bunch of people who all have a real genuine grievance and are speaking very freely and candidly about their grievances, I'm not sure if that means that it's like, ah, you know, this is all edited and... Like, we changed the story, you know, to make it seem like you were way worse than you were. It just seems to me like this is the story that your peers have... This is their opinion of you, so yeah. this is why it is. So, you know, we are going to be going through the self-destruction documentary, but we're also going to try and triangulate between the other docs that were available. I will say with the Dark Side of the Ring one, I thought it was a little bit, a little bit like reliant on the ex-wife, as yeah. if to tell that this was like entirely her story. And obviously she has a story to tell, but I don't know if it really gave us much insight into the warrior you know, past one or two minutes of interview. 
no and especially seeing as like she still seems very much in love with him yeah like she the main takeaway from that was that she was heartbroken yes i'm like is that really the most important thing about like his legacy no his ex-wife is heartbroken like i kind of expect that yeah uh so we're gonna start off now by talking about the ultimate warrior and how he first made his way into the world of wrestling joe did it surprise you that jim helwig who later changed his name to warrior came into wrestling through the world of bodybuilding not at all i'm not surprised in the slightest we have had to watch so much footage of young Jim Helwig in Little Speedos mm. doing bodybuilding contests. And I'm body positive, Joe, but the man's body scared me. Yeah, no, it scares me too. It's um, I'm very glad that we watched Pumping Iron not that long ago. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it made me appreciate the skill involved in bodybuilding. I feel like if I hadn't seen that... I would have been a lot more snooty about a lot more snooty, but also like a lot more naive about his work in bodybuilding because mm. like it does require a lot of skill and a lot of talent and a lot of hard work. And as Arnie would like you to know, a little bit, a little Susan of artistry as well there. Cause yeah. you are, the body is clay. The sculpting. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And having watched that, it was clear to me that Jim Helwig, he didn't really take it that seriously either. Like, he obviously did take it seriously. He took his body very seriously. Yeah, he took being ripped super seriously. He's like, obviously from a very young age, it was important to him to be buff. Like, I think they mentioned in one of the documentaries that he was a very scrawny little skinny kid. Yeah, I mean, you, it's literally like a, a B character from Pumping Iron. Like, your yeah. typical, you know, if, if you just reckon, yeah, I've seen the you know, thing about, about bodybuilding, I know it all figured out. Oh, look at that guy. He's big over there. I bet his dad left when he was young and that, you know, he was really scrawny as a kid and got yeah. a little bit bullied and wanted to be big and strong to show all the bullies and mm. it kind of is a little bit like that yeah he grew up dirt poor you know he he grew up in like ohio you know you know lifting weights in the front of a trailer basically it was shocking to see the younger images of him where he looked so much older yeah like you know he really looked i don't say haggard but it definitely looked like the the bodybuilding took a toll on him way before wrestling did and also something that was really shocking to me is that he found out from a young age that he was predisposed to to dying young. His father and his grandfather. That's weird though. Dying young? Like, yeah. What does that mean? You can't I, just be predisposed to dying young. I think it was more in the lines of his, his father and his grandfather both passed away from heart attacks. Oh, right. And they both passed away in their early 50s, which is God. how Warrior also passed away in his early 50s from a heart condition. But... They kind of try and frame it in in the other document in in the kind of the Vice and the the, the newer A and E piece that it was kind of like not that he had a death wish but he had this kind of I'm going to live fast die young burn the candle at both ends mm. attitude which I don't know I don't didn't really see that no also if you're going to do that why why settle down and like get married and have kids and stuff like that seems a bit cruel. Yeah, right. Like I, don't, I just, and also like the lifestyle he led, it seemed almost like he was, almost like he was asking for it. I mean, he was, he was, he, like if you think he's big when he was the Ultimate Warrior, you should see him when he was bodybuilding. Oh yeah, he's absolutely monstrous. It, it is, it is the biggest human being I think I have ever seen. Like it is absolutely 
mind-boggling. And I think as well, really what it comes down to is the allure for bodybuilding in the 80s was the fact, we mentioned Pumping Iron. Pumping Iron came out like right at the end of the 70s. It right. was an absolute hit. Arnold Schwarzenegger was the biggest name in Hollywood and entertainment in the early 80s and throughout most of the 80s. And I think Jim Helwig thought this was a route into fame, fortune, money, notoriety. Like, he wanted to be famous. He wanted to be... They talked to his coaches and his football team and all that, and they're like, yeah, he was tunnel vision obsessed with becoming famous. Like, he would say to his coach, I'm going to become such a big star, then I'll come back here and I'll show everyone. It's, it, I mean, what motivation is a great thing, but I do think there is a way to be, like, not improperly motivated, but, like, darkly motivated. Well, yeah, I think fame is a bad motivator because it's so... It's so nothing. Yeah, it's fleeting, isn't it's, it? Yeah, it's it's fleeting, and it it can be fueled by many different things, and most of them are not healthy or good for you. No, definitely not. Like it's it's one thing to be like, oh yeah, I'd like to be successful, and as a result, be famous. But like, if fame is your pure motivator, well, there's lots of ways to become famous, and some of them are illegal. So yeah, and you know, thinking. In this podcast, we've looked at the people who've been successful in wrestling, but then there's those people who enjoyed the longevity and the kind of the adulation of the fans or like a long-term, cult, even a cult following. It doesn't matter how big a star you were in wrestling, if you've had a platform and also a genuine love of wrestling, I think that usually comes across. I don't think Jim Helwig ever discovered anything approaching a love of wrestling, let's just say. Because, you know, in the self-destruction documentary, they have Bobby Heenan go... This guy just probably walked out of a gym one day with a raw egg and a can of tuna and saw a WWF truck and go, oh, I'm going to go do that. And it's like, I think it's the same <laughs> thing with the bodybuilding though as well. Like He just saw these famous muscly men and was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And like, oh, obviously the way to do that is just to become as big as possible. And he's on, he's on a knucklehead as well, mine. You know, not like, I don't want to be making it, oh, like, people assume, oh, bodybuilder, he's got like a million dollar body and a pea brain or something like that. You know, he was studying... Uh, chiropractic and all that like so you he he was you know he was learned in the world of of the body and whatnot mm. but wrestling he was drawn into it because he wasn't making money in bodybuilding he won a few like small regional titles and that and the route which which he came into wrestling was he went to a gym one day and there was another big boy from venice beach california with lifted weights it's everyone's favorite wrestling 60 year old it fucking Sting, Joe. Sting. A man called Sting. It's a man called Sting. Now, Sting and the Ultimate Warrior, they actually were kind of got into the wrestling business together. So weird. Were you shocked at all that the mild-mannered Sting was associated with the manic Ultimate Warrior? Yeah, absolutely. But also, part of me wasn't surprised because I remember seeing footage of Sting. I can't remember what... I think it was the match we had against him and Ric Flair. Mm. And he's... He looks a bit like the Ultimate Warriors look. The he's, classic face paint. Face yeah. paint, yeah. He's, like, big and muscular. He's got, like, tassels on his arms, even, I think. It's, it was very similar, and I didn't understand that at all. But... I guess if they were... Because they were a tag team, weren't they, originally? Yes. So that kind of makes sense that they were both doing it together. Do you remember their cool 80s tag team name? Weren't they called, like, Blade Runners? Yeah, something? they were the Blade Runners. And in the self-destruction documentary where they're quickly running through this and Jim Ross is like, well, they were, they were going to be the Blade Runners and they were going to be, you know, they're going to be the new version of the Road Warriors. Like, just, just list in 80s movies now. The Blade Runners, the Road Warriors, yeah. the Empire Strikes Backs. <laughs> They had a pretty unique look for the time. Two big, big, 
big muscly men with a little bit of face paint on them mm. and they had all these video packages of them like working out and being intense I love the fact that their face paint at the beginning was really goth it was like, <laughs> yeah, a little black lipstick like kiss <laughs> almost like the black eye paint and the black lipstick and there's like these two jocks like working out it's so homoerotic oh yeah it is so Just I, I'm going to mention that right from the outset a lot of the Ultimate Warrior's career is very 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 homoerotic mm. just in terms of the types of matches he had the stylings and whatnot, and those '80s video packages. Oh boy, yeah, you've not lived until you've seen Young Warrior or Blade Runner Rock, as he was known. Pumping, Blade Runner Rocket. Yeah, Blade Runner Rock. Oh right. <laughs> uh, pumping iron as a Sting lovingly looks in his eyes and lets him know that he believes that he can do it. <laughs> there is one problem with the Blade Runners. They've got the look. They got the face paint. They've got all the adulation of the of the lady fans, as Jimmy Hart refers to them in one of the documentaries. <laughs> but they can't wrestle very well. Uh. We saw lots of clunky footage of, of, of a young Ultimate Warrior stomping around the ring, looking massive. Yes. Huge. Too big. Too big for a wrestler. Yeah, he, he couldn't literally move his arms yeah. up and down. Like It was unbelievable how absurdly large he was. He then decides, ah, too big of a star to hang around here. And the real reason was that where they were working in Memphis, which is where you know, Jerry Lawler would have been and whatnot, they thought they were they had a great look, but they couldn't train them on the job. And they had no skill. So they're like, we can't really do anything <laughs> for you. So he heads over to Texas to World Class Championship Wrestling, where he and his natural presence and charisma, he is christened the Dingo Warrior. The Dingo Warrior. What is a dingo warrior in your mind? I don't know. I don't know what a dingo is. Is that some kind of animal? Yeah, dingo is a, it's a small marsupial. It's like a dog. <laughs> oh, not even a big muscly marsupial. No, it's not. And it's not even like kind of like a wolverine, which is also small and cuddly, but it's kind of, you know, you can conjure an image. Dingo is a silly little name, you know? It doesn't yeah. sound very intimidating. It sounds like an insult. Like, oh, you're such a dingo. And no one even knew what a dingo was, but I, there was some, like... Between the three documentaries, a lot of these stories get told and retold, and like the circumstances are completely different. But what Warrior himself said was that someone had a little yappy dog, and they were like, "Oh, you should be the Dingo Warrior." So then he's like, "Okay, I'll be the Dingo Warrior." But why? Why wouldn't someone go? No, that's not a good name. Dingo that doesn't, that doesn't make sense, and it sounds bad. They're not even Australian. That's it, right? If you were like a dingo warrior, and you were this like Australian badass, I could buy that. Like you're this kind of scrappy outback, like you do anything to survive, like a dingo. Like yeah, cool. I'll, I'll be be fine with that. Like wallaby warriors at least got alliteration to it. They're sitting right there. Yeah, Come wallaby on, wallaby warrior. Oh, that's a <laughs> mouthful. <laughs> so he picks up you know a few wins and some notoriety in WCCW, and Vince McMahon. He picks him up thinking, right, it's the late 80s now. Hogan has been on top for like three or four years at this point. And Vince McMahon in his mind knew that Hogan was probably not going to hang around forever. Or at least the fans wouldn't want him forever. So Vince decides he wants to start building up some new stars completely from the ground up. And he gets this blue chipper, the Dingo Warrior. And he decides quickly to change him from the Dingo Warrior to the ultimate warrior. I love the story of how they came up with that name as well. So Vince McMahon, isn't it's it? So Vince McMahon. So 
Apparently on the roster, they already had a couple of wrestlers with Warrior in the name. You had the, the modern day Warrior, Kerry Von Erich. There was the Road Warriors over in, in NWA. Yeah, so there were there were Warriors about. Yeah, and so Vince was like, no, obviously we're not going to call him you know anything Warrior because we've got Warriors. But like, we want him to be, you know, he's better than those Warriors. He's 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 a, the big Warrior. He's the amazing Warrior. He's the ultimate Warrior. You know the what I mean? ultimate Warrior. And then someone was like, yeah, that's it. He's the ultimate Warrior. I really liked in the documentary that they took a bit of time to chat about the music that they fit for the Ultimate yeah. Warrior because the Ultimate Warrior, as if he was floundering for ages trying to figure it out, while they, you know, creative figured up something for him, like you know what happens these days. Yeah, you know, they had an idea from the ground up. They liked the face paint, they liked the colorful outfits, they kind of made the colors a little bit more neon and all that. But they spent time talking with Jim Johnson about the theme music. And specifically talking about how the theme music set the tone for the character. And that the character and the theme music were, were essentially like inseparable. You yeah. couldn't have one without the other. And what do you reckon to the... It's so generic. <laughs> I honestly don't like it. But I mean, I don't like it in a personal sense. Not that I like think it's bad. It, it fits the ultimate warrior perfectly because of the way he runs to the ring the music is very like in keeping with that it's fast it's fast paced it's got that yeah like someone banging on a door or something intense. like that yeah but it's like it sounds like royalty free music <laughs> it sounds it sounds not good i mean it's nice to see like vince mcmahon in this doc like you know being like hey yeah i, I chatted with jim about my ideas and you know jim was instrumental in in making this character because it feels like jim johnson you know, I, I always thought when I started podcasting nearly 10 years ago now, I thought, well, you know, Jim Johnson will get his day in the sun and people will come to appreciate him more and more and more and realize yeah. more and more and more how important he is. And it feels like he's kind of, his place in wrestling is just kind of forgotten almost. I know, it's ridiculous. It's so sad. He, he is one of the most talented people in the whole industry. I would go as far as to say no Jim Johnson, no Ultimate Warrior, honestly, because that music is like, the character... Is, is relayed so much better by that music than by Jim Helwig himself at times. Yeah, you know? it's true. He runs, he shakes the ropes. It was three chords in the whole thing, according to uh, Jim Johnson as well. I'm surprised so, it's that many. I mean, is that few? I don't know anything about music. Yeah, that's that's not very many. That's that's more than an average Green Day song, is what you're telling me, Joe. <laughs> yeah. And him running to the ring. The wrestlers in the documentary were talking about how he was generally, like, seemed like he was going to be quite tired by the time he got there. Yes. The gas tank of the Ultimate Warrior. I mean, he didn't have a lot of stamina, I don't think. That's always the way with these big muscly men. They don't have much... They don't have, like, great cardio. Because they <laughs> carry so much muscle around. They're exhausted by the time they get there. I mean, that's the thing, right? You know, everyone can be a big... Mu the big muscle men in wrestling, there are plenty of them. But only one was made to run, sprint out yeah. of the ring as fast as he and possibly could. And then shake could. the ropes, which I imagine is really hard. Oh, yeah, those are, like, prop... Like, he yeah. would, the, <laughs> shake, the shaking of the ropes is genuinely, like... I remember when you first started seeing it, you didn't think much to no. it. Why, what is it about shaking the ropes that was kind of, like, less impressive to you, I guess? It was just silly. <laughs> like, it just seemed like a toddler. Like, a lot of the stuff he does reminds me of just, like, a, you know, a two-year-old just getting overexcited. And it's just, like, him shaking the ropes just made him seem kind of like he was throwing a little tantrum or something. I, I like think it. it was when we were doing pay-per-view classic over on our Patreon yeah. and you saw Batista doing it. And I was like, he's doing that in tribute to the warrior. Like, that makes it even worse. Yeah, like, I don't know, like it. In tribute to another toddler, like, you know? Uh, when... <laughs> We get into a bit here where they start talking about the other big element of the warrior, not just the entrance to the music. 
it was his very unique verbiage. And when they started showing clips of the warrior speaking, I had to take a moment to take some notes of what Joe was saying while we were watching the documentary. He is like a horrid chimp and I hate him. Mm, I stand by that. <laughs> you do stand by that. Okay. The promos of the Ultimate Warrior. I mean, how would you describe the, the verbiage, the style? How does the warrior speak? He just yells all the time. He just yells and I can't understand what he says. I genuinely don't know what any of his promos were about. <laughs> I mean, I've watched so many of them now and I just, I couldn't understand a single bit. <laughs> I don't know. I, apparently they made no sense. I mean, they certainly made no sense to me, but for a different reason, I'm sure, than other people. As I was like watching all of these promos, we'll, we'll, we'll have some highlights of promos in a little bit, but when I was watching them, I was just thinking like, well, it's the intensity, isn't it though? The fact that he's super intense and he's all like, ah, you know, there's a real believable intensity. And I was thinking, well, it doesn't really matter what he says then, does it? You don't have to understand what he says. But you then pointed out to me that very often when you're watching Ric Flair, that you wouldn't understand what he said. No, it's true. But I seem to feel like Ric Flair is talking the same language as me, though. Whereas yes. Ultimate Warrior is talking another language. Yeah. Definitely. Like, it's sci-fi almost, could you call it? I don't know. Everyone started calling him an alien. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so is he actually supposed to be from outer space then? Because like, he's built from being parts unknown. And everyone was like, oh yeah, because like, no one knows where he's from and stuff. But apparently it's just because he's actually from Ohio and they couldn't be like, it's the ultimate warrior from Ohio. <laughs> parts unknown was like, it's not an ultimate warrior specific thing right they use parts unknown anytime there was a vaguely mysterious looking wrestler or someone like you know, the missing link or someone like that some kind of weird kind of sci-fi ghoul goblin type wrestler they would often say parts unknown you know so like i think there's other ways to go than parts unknown psycho sid was once referred to as being from wherever he darn well pleases I like that. which is i think is the greatest hometown of all time like. <laughs> is that the same place that orange cassidy is from <laughs> No, that's wherever. That's uh, different. That's different, different, you know. And another great one, uh, which was used in WCW, from a small village in France. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the promos, apparently he talks about... I, I remember one promo, he mentioned something about the planets aligning. Yeah, there's planets. Which again made me think he must be from outer space. Well, I've got a promo here for you, if you want to try and, and read it. Yes, please. I've gotten just a choice promo here. Now, I know we like to do this in the middle sometimes, but I feel like the promos are going to come up a few times, and I thought I'd just give a typical one here for Joe, just so we can all get on the same footing, because whatever you think about the promos, this is one of the reasons why he got as over as he did. Fans lapped this up, little kids particularly, obsessed with the warrior, so... Now, I hope it's okay. I'm not going to read this in my promo voice. I'm just going to read it. You're not going to do it in an Ultimate Warrior no. voice? <laughs> Just because I want to, I want to understand it. Please, I, <laughs> I don't want to say it's a fruitless endeavor to try and understand it, but you do, you. I'm you know, to try. <laughs> Action stage left. Action stage right. There is no place to run. All the fuses in the exit signs have been burnt out, and there is only one straight and narrow pathway to SummerSlam, and it deals with pain and destruction and recapturing the Intercontinental Belt. You ravishing Rick Rude will feel that pain, feel that power at SummerSlam as the warriors claw and scratch all over the back of the Ultimate Warrior. Ew. And tell me what tell me to do what is rightfully and wrongfully wrong. <laughs> Take the Intercontinental back. Take it back to parts unknown. Load the spaceship with the rocket fuel, load it with the warriors, because after SummerSlam the belt will be 
mine. So some credence there to the uh, to the alien theory. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that doesn't make as little sense as I thought it might. I think when you're saying it in that voice, as in you're speaking clearly... At least there's a theme. That's true. I mean, there is a theme there. The theme is that he wants to load... Take the Intercontinental title, title to, space. to space. Which may or may not be... I mean, I'm not saying parts are known as in space, but if you need to load the rocket fuel into a spaceship to it's get probably. there... I mean, it, it, that's not very economically viable if it's just down the road, is it? I was going to say, like, these fucking people and they're taking planes from Glasgow to London and yeah. this lad's taking a spaceship from Ohio to parts unknown? Come on, get the train, for fuck's <laughs> sake. It's ridiculous. This one's all in all... I've, I've got it in all caps for you here, so that might make it a little bit easier. If they refuse to understand that the power of the Ultimate Warrior has spread like a virus amongst the WWF, then let them continue to walk as normal as they seem. But if those 28 normal men want to have special attractions, such as Royal Rumble, then you and I, as the Warriors, the most powerful force in the universe, in the WWF, will continue to only see it as another challenge. Only as another day of combat. 28 of those normal men, stacked one on top of another, can't come close to the building and destinations from parts unknown. You realise, as I do, that the 29th man... You, Hulk Hogan, walk with a different force field around you. Walk on the horizons that are close to where I've been. But no one in the Royal Rumble shall form a team. Every man shall fight for what he feels is in himself and I. The ultimate warrior will fulfill another destiny. It's actually a little bit poetic. A little bit, but that one definitely makes less sense than the first one. I do like the idea, though, of him having a promo that's just like, yeah, I'm going to get all my fans to scratch my back. That's I'm into that. He keeps talking about... There's another one here where he talks about the back being scratched by the warriors, like clawing at his back. It's very, very interesting. Let's do one last one. Let's do one last one here. As the gas tank you run on shows empty, ravishing Rick Rude, you now understand that you can no longer run and hide, that the magnet the warriors put around the intercontinental belt shall bring it back to where it belongs, (laughs) for you cannot handle the responsibility. But maybe the biggest challenge that has come upon us warriors is the thing I speak of. The 10 foot, 15,000 pound Andre the Giant. Hang on a second now. Hogan over here. Yeah, right. The man that's walked among the WWF like no other normal. But you know that we don't live by the normals. We don't live by the rules and we shall conquer the giant. I hate normies. Know that we don't live by the normals. We don't. And uh, whatever about loading the rocket fuel into the rocket ship... Putting a magnet on to get a belt back, that's not many wrestlers have thought about that. It means, though, that he also has to be a magnet, though, right? (laughs) I mean, otherwise it won't attract, right? Or maybe Parts Unknown has a magnetic force, like the island and Lost. Oh, sure, maybe Parts Unknown. Oh my god, maybe it is the island and Lost! It is! Oh, we're through the looking glass now here, people. We figured it all out. (laughs) I'm going to say, right, just from having the, the verbiage there just written down, and been read out in a non-like type of a voice. I would argue that the verbiage isn't actually as crazy and fucking belubas batshit insane as people make it out to be. At least no more so than like a Randy Savage or or some of the Ric Flair's or even I mean, off, all, all, honestly, it feels like kind of you know bargain basement Hogan. Like Hogan yeah. would talk about like kind of theatrical crazy stuff happening like. 
the Red Sea being parted or an earthquake splitting the earth in half or whatever it is. I mean, my main takeaway from those promos is that he speaks a whole load of nothing, really. And that that is quite like Ric Flair in some respects, because Ric Flair speaks a whole load of nothing as well. But Macho Man, I think it's unfair to compare him to him because Macho Man, yes, he's chaotic and strange, but he would at least pick a direction and go with it. Yeah, that's true. There was a theme, a consistent a theme, theme throughout. And he would always come back to that original theme. It would be all be tied in nicely at the end. Whereas this seems more like he doesn't even know where he's going. It is is intriguing because you were asking me, like, do you think? Vince would have scripted his promos or anything like that. And I certainly don't think the warrior ever would have been handed a script and said, you know, talk about this. Talk about this really weird imagery or whatever it may be. But from the A&E documentary, you do see that Vince McMahon had that, you know, almost like Paul Heyman we saw in the ECW stuff where the camera comes back and he's right there in his face going, this is what you need to say. This is the intensity. This is what's happened. This is the moment. We're trying to set this vibe. So, and Vince really holds his hand through a lot of the promos. Yes. Which I don't think we've ever really had someone where we're like, Vince McMahon was the special promo guy from, we've heard of Keenan and stuff, but not Vince, really. I mean, I've always assumed that Vince has had a big hand in people's promos but a big hand in this guy's character you know and i would say it is a bit kind of low rent and a little bit below the belt in the self-destruction documentary to make fun of a lad for doing the promos you told him to do (laughs) you know but i should point out as well one of the only ways we got through doing the research for this is that every time i showed joe an ultimate warrior promo you put on a macho man promo i have to (laughs) cleanse the palate (laughs) cleanse the palate swirl around in your mouth yeah (laughs) and that's the thing that pissed me off most about him to be honest was that he he just does seem to like not parody but like copy so many other wrestlers like the style of his promos the way he talks sometimes he would do it facing away from the camera like macho man and like put on this like gruff gravelly voice or he will talk like this yeah he would go through these kind of different iterations brother brother yeah sometimes he's straight up hogan other times he's just like the legion of doom yeah i think honestly if it wasn't for the chaotic content of the promos or the imagery or whatever and his kind of his heavy breathing and his snarling and whatnot. I, that the it's it's a scrunch. I love a good grunch, but there's something about that nasal. Absolutely turns my stomach, and I'm not going to talk about it anymore because I've eaten too many oats for my breakfast, and I literally can't make it through otherwise. He's got a rocket ship strapped to his back, Joe. Everyone is getting on board with the warrior. He's smashing opponents. He's running roughshod. Vince McMahon has got a plan for the Ultimate Warrior. And the first stop on that bus trip to superstardom is the Honky Tonk Man. The Skegness of wrestlers. (laughs) And he's the first stop. Oh, I see, right. In that, like, yeah, he's a little greasy, but we all fucking love it. It's fucking great. (laughs) And and I'm very excited to do a Honky Tonk Man episode soon. But the first stop for the Ultimate Warrior, it is SummerSlam 1998. The Honky Tonk Man has been Intercontinental Champion for 15 months. Not quite a Rob Van Dam reign, but near enough. And in the 80s, he was the scourge of the mid-card because no one could get that belt off Honky Tonk Man. And his challenger is unknown at this time. And he's like, oh, give me someone come out here to wrestle. Oh, come out here to wrestle me. I don't care who. Anyone. <laughs> Anytime Honky Tonk Man is on screen, I end up giving you another little tidbit about something he couldn't do or didn't do. And you're like, 
great. Yeah, I love it. Because in the documentary, they're like, Honky Tonk Man was a great... Like, anyone who's against the warrior, they're like, they will go out of their way in the self-destruction and say, he was great. Like, And Jimmy Hart's there like, Honky was great, you know? He could sing, he could dance, he could play the guitar. He could do none of those things. <laughs> I love it. He can play guitar as much as Hogan can when he came out in his NWO, like, <laughs> playing the belts. Yeah, Honky was just smart enough to slot a guitar in yeah. there when he's doing the air guitar. <laughs> So, Joe, I want you to take me through this match. You know, it's a, it's a high-stakes Intercontinental title on the line. Honky Tonk Man wants an opponent to get out here at SummerSlam, give him a wrestle. Who's it going to be? It's going to be the Ultimate Warrior, and he runs out, fucking legs it. The crowd. Pop. Whoa. They love him. Big explosion. Yeah, and Honky Tonk Man looks terrified. Love it. Uh, Ultimate Warrior comes in, he does the Rick Mail thrusty thing in bottom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then he does like he does like a clothesline, I think, and then he does a ultimate slam, which is his finisher. Oh, the ultimate slam! Describe the ultimate slam for me. He lifts his opponent above his head, and then he just like drops them, but not in the normal way that people drop wrestlers, where they like you know they actually Place step out of the way there, and they kind of like you know they make sure they land safely. No, he literally drops them sometimes on his own head. It's fucking horrible. We saw a lot of ultimate slams in our research. And it's literally like throwing someone down the fucking stairs. Yeah. They smack off the back of his head, off his shoulders, off his arse, and off his fucking feet. Oh my god, in like, heaven. He drops them and he doesn't move out of the way. I and mean, he doesn't I... drop them behind, because he's probably not very mobile as well. Like His flexibility is probably not great because of all the muscles. That's true. So he's not, even though he's able to lift them above him, I'm sure there's an element of also leaning backwards as you do it, so that they fall onto a nice, clean, flat surface. Well, like... I always thought the idea of it, because when you play in the video game or whatever, you do the ultimate slam, he do the, the press or whatever over the head, and then he kind of do this little kind of extra push up, and then he like walk forward. The idea of kind of being a cool Samoa Joe. Yeah. Oh, someone falling behind me? I didn't know, so I was too busy being sexy. Yeah. <laughs> but you pointed out, and this happens a lot more in later in the career, obviously we're only 88 here. But sometimes he's huffing and puffing and struggling to get oh, people yes. up. It's not an easy thing to do to deadlift a wrestler, by the way. And if you're tired, like Warrior would be after having to pump his ass to the ring. But, and shake the ropes. And shake the ropes. And like when he's, he does like a move to Honky Tonk and he just starts, you know, airplane spinning his arms around. Like mm. just, I mean, you say toddler, but like if a toddler got to this point of, of hyperness, child services would be called, I think. Aww. They didn't have to stop the match, like, you know, <laughs> put Vince McMahon away, like, you know, put Ultra Warrior in an orphanage. <laughs> so he hits the ultimate slam, and then he does the splash. One, two, three, all the while Honky Tonk Man is flailing. And yeah, we get some more of the Rick Mail thrusting afterwards. Um... <laughs> Ultimate Warrior versus Honky Tonk Man. A moment in, in history. A great a great moment in time, many would say. Big crowd reaction. Big comes out and he smashes this guy in no time at all. What do you think of it? This was probably the best match we watched for him. I gave it two stars out of five. Short but sweet. You know, there's nothing... The Ultimate Slam is horrible to watch, obviously. Yes. But, like... You know, there's not much to complain about otherwise in this match. It's barely even a match. Honky Tonk is, is great in that, you know, he rolls around like a yeah. pinball in this and makes Sells it look really it great. Well. But, like, the Ultimate Warrior gives off that, like, so excited that he's nervous energy. Yeah. You know, I've, I've had generalized anxiety disorder for a long old time and I understand what it is to be anxious. 
And I think it was seeing a lot of those clips of him doing the promos in the A&E doc where I was watching most of these matches now through the lens of this guy's breathing heavy because he is fucking anxious. Yeah. You know, he is... And that's not a good way to be when you're wrestling, I would imagine. You need to have a bit of that confidence, I guess. I mean, lots of wrestlers have mentioned about having anxiety. Macho Man, DDP, yeah. yeah. But I think more often than not, it channeled itself in ways that were i don't want to necessarily say healthier but mm. like maybe less destructive yeah no like, for sure you know like maybe it involved like them working out before their match or overly planning their matches and stuff like that but he just seems to like yeah huff and puff and kind of get a bit overwhelmed physically by it yeah no overwhelmed is is kind of how he comes across a lot of the time you know and that's not a great way to be listen to some tori amos mick foley will hook you up like yeah, calm you right down <laughs> But he is at this point in the late 80s beloved because obviously Hogan's on top and all that, but you've got this other like super colourful, really cool character who's crazy and zany. And he's very much like an, an 80s, early 90s creation. And he is toyetic as fuck. Like, you know, people want to have the Ultimate Warrior mask. Yeah. The little wrestling buddy. Apparently, according to the Dark Side of the Ring doc, that was like super huge for him that was oh yeah yeah he was obsessed with the little wrestling buddy which is actually quite cute why do you think he was obsessed with it i don't know i thought it was like this is proven that i've gotten to you know i'm i'm at that level now i'm a top guy but like why that not the other figurines or the mask or whatever like it's specifically that little cuddly wrestly toy. It's... There's like 20 pictures of him with the wrestling buddy be like, ah, like he looks honestly happier with the wrestling buddy than he does with his family. Most yeah, of the pictures we've seen. Definitely. It, it is very peculiar. Yeah, I don't know what that's about. I think it's probably because it, for him, it, it represents, you know, when you thought of wrestling merchandise, Hulk Hogan was the name. Mm. And you know, we don't know like figures or anything like that, but I know he was a big merchandise mover for them, which obviously made him one of Vince's faves. And this was, there's one of these weird things in wrestling where if it's a Vince McMahon project, the wrestler views it as their success and Vince McMahon views it as his success. And I don't get a sense that there was a feeling of collaboration between Vince and Warrior. Mm. You know, it, unlike you got that a bit with maybe with Hogan and Vince, it felt like a little bit like they were at least kind of working together to produce this thing. Whereas it's Vince and the marketing guys are making this very marketable warrior gimmick and warrior's off doing his own kind of thing in his head. And they both kind of think that they're solely responsible for it. I mean... His look was established before he went to the WWE. That's true, yeah. So he is... I mean, I don't know how much of it is him and how much of it would have been Sting. I mean, I I, I genuinely think, like, where he took the face paint was, was definitely unique. Because I think him and Sting both, yeah, it was they did face paint. That was unique. Mm. But I think definitely that was Warrior's thing, for sure. Like, he made it his own thing, I guess. I think the tassels as well and all that. Like, the whole package together... But I, I don't say like it's Vince McMahon or Warrior themselves were right to think that way. But there was definitely not a sense of shared ownership. Yeah. And the reason why, I guess, is that later on there's a $6 million lawsuit filed for creative control of the Ultimate Warrior character. Which Warrior did win. So there's obviously, you know. Really? And I'm sure the argument that you just made there was probably the main way that he won it. Was wow. that he was doing it long before he met Vince McMahon. Back when he was a dingo warrior. <laughs> <laughs> We had a lengthy, lengthy moment here in the documentary where it was wrestlers just making fun of all of his weird promos. Some highlights for me. Nothing left but me and the Warriors floating through the veins. Not to ask, but just to give. Not to want, but just to be. I only breathe the air that smells of combat. 
Come on in, where nightmares are the best part of my day. Tear me down with raging elephants from India. Should I jump off the tallest building in the world to prepare? He's he's whashing most of these problems as well, I should point out. Like, yeah. And sopping. you can see also when it closes up to his face, when it's close up to his face, you can see in his eyes how nervous he is. He looks terrified. These pupils are like dots. Mm. He looks like he's about to pass out. <laughs> Yeah, he looks really scared. You were saying it was like a streamer we like watching Limmy, like when he, he can make his heart rate go up really high and like all these veins <laughs> appear. It's like he was just going through that. Like, yeah. you know, Ultimate Warrior, if the wrestling business did reduce his lifespan and he was already kind of predisposed or whatnot, I'd argue it was the promos. Because making yourself go from not to intense like that is, that ain't good for you folks. No, it's Jesus not. Christ. My favorite one of all of his promos was when he's talking about feuding with Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania. Is this the one where he threatens to steal Hogan's plane? <laughs> I love this one. And you, Hulk Hogan, fly your plane to WrestleMania! Now, if you've ever been to WrestleMania like I have, and you go on a plane, and your favourite DVD is the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior, we got some bad looks because me and my mate were just the whole time going... Tear down the cockpit door! Oh dear. Hogan. Assume the controls! Turn the plane into a nosedive! And we had to just make sure that the staff knew that we weren't would-be Irish terrorists. Mm. You know, strictly a grand game that Irish terrorists play, nothing to do with the air, and that we weren't going to steal the plane, and that the plane was not Hulk Hogan's, even though we were going to WrestleMania. I'm surprised someone didn't tell you off. They may well have, but I was I was young and dumb, you young, know. Young, dumb, and having fun. Young, dumb, having fun, quoting the Ultimate Warrior on a plane ride. I like the idea of Hulk Hogan have his own special plane, and Ultimate Warrior also having his own special plane. Yeah, and they're also made to look like their little buddy toys. <laughs> kind of cuddly. Soft. They refer to him as having a maniacal edge. Sergeant Slaughter compares him to Darth Vader. <laughs> What? I don't understand. I think they're making a comparison again to do with him being from space. And you, Luke Skywalker, fly your X-Wing to a new hope. (laughs) Tear down the Death Star. Luke Skywalker. (laughs) (laughs) He is paired with a few people kind of as he's being groomed. They put him with ravishing Rick Rude for a spell as well. The idea is that Rick Rude will kind of teach him or kind of drag him by his bootstraps so that he can get to a point where he can be that main eventer and you know he understands the kind of give and take of wrestling a little bit in the feud though the main kind of highlight or lola i guess is that when he gets in the ring with bobby heenan and he messes up bobby really really bad it's horrible it's so 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 horrible because you know we did an episode on bobby yeah and he had this was like five years after he had terrible neck problems mm. and they thought oh we'll help get you know ultimate warrior over he does like a weasel suit match with him yeah. at one point and like jesus christ and the idea of like being forcibly put into a weasel suit by the ultimate warrior oh, god it's a nightmare he's just, like, grabbing his arms and yeah. fucking him in there and bobby's saying like, there was nothing you could say to him you couldn't convince him like just please just take care with me yeah and the when he does the ultimate slam to bobby heenan i think it's at a wrestlemania five like, that is one of the worst bumps I've ever fucking seen in my life. Poor Bobby. Poor fucking Bobby. Seriously, poor Bobby. Like, it looks 
absolutely minging. Like, that would be horrible to take even if you didn't have neck problems. But the fact that apparently beforehand, he specifically went up to Ultimate Warrior and was like, look, I've got neck problems. Stay away from my neck. Protect my neck. And then literally you see in this this clip, he like grabs him by the neck. He's shaking and him. Shakes him and drops him on his neck. It's like, it's like he's the opposite of what he was asked to do. The only thing that seems to break Bobby's fall when he's taking that bump is that like the point of his elbow falls down first and with all imagine that like on your your funny bone bone, the entire weight of your body being dropped like that jesus absolute christ that is one of the worst things i've ever seen and like yeah and that's the point of the self-destruction documentary like is a character assassination for bobby heaton to be like this guy really you know did damage to me and there's a reason you probably didn't see bobby heaton doing bumps or anything much like that yeah later this is on. last ever weasel suit match apparently. yeah ridiculous the next person they put in the ring with him to get him ready for the main event is andre the giant ah uh, yes who in the the second documentary we watched the a and e one oh god yeah. he goes on about how andre the giant respected him you know they got on really well and andre actually really wanted to work with the ultimate warrior and so i'll make i'll make him next boss oh, yeah you know the, the gracious giant yeah and they go on in the documentary that ultimate warrior slamming andre was like this big moment heard around the world like not quite as big as andre being signed by hogan but just this big fucking deal and the reality of it is is that Andre was getting on in years. He was suffering the ill effects of gigantism and yeah. he could barely get around. He was in a lot of pain. And watching the stuff with Bobby and then watching the stuff with Andre and Andre the Giant is obviously 10 times the size of Bobby. But he looked like he was having the worst time of his fucking life wrestling the Ultimate Warrior. I can't imagine how scary it would have been to be slammed by the Ultimate Warrior if you were Andre the Giant. Oh my God. That's going to suck. Like, literally, like, his bones too big for his body. And he's been just dumped like a sack of shit. Oh, jeez. The story that Bobby tells, which is that Andre liked to do a spot where he would fall back into the ropes, you know, take two steps back, and then he gets hit and he gets caught up in the ropes. And he wants to take the two steps. And every night that he would do it, the warrior would be there quicker and quicker, just smashing into him. And then, like, the third night, when warrior's running, he just put his fist out. (laughs) And he ran right into it. That's so funny. Cracked his face paint. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of like this kind of chat in this doc where it was like, oh, it was good for business, but fuck him. You know, like it was good to, to have a new star and all that, but seriously, fuck him at, yeah. at, at the same time. And it is crazy to think that in a company that had, you know, Bret Hart, Macho Man, Jake Roberts, all these great big names and all that, that Warrior was the number two in the waiting and he was the heir to the throne. He was someone who somehow had significantly less wrestling ability than the guy they had on top. Yeah, I don't get that. And also, no wonder everyone fucking hated him. Like, he's come out of nowhere. He hasn't got a background in wrestling. He can't wrestle very well. Like, the only reason he's as big a star as he is is because of all the money that's been put behind him. Yeah, and, you know, they put money behind him. They make money off of him. But the number one thing you need to do if you're a top guy in wrestling is you need to be, like, you have to be that they keep talking about oh he's like a cartoon character come to life like a comic book character who walked right off the page and he is yeah but if I went up to Spider-Man he wouldn't tell me to fuck off if I asked for an autograph if I was a little 8 year old kid you know and there's a lot of that as well like there's a lot of these stories about you know him being isolated he had his own locker room he wouldn't talk to people Brett in his book writes about how he refused to see a Make-A-Wish kid. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, the little Make-A-Wish kid is there. Their whole thing, they just, they just want to meet the Ultimate Warrior. That's the only reason. They've got you know front row seats to go to see the wrestling. They want to meet the Ultimate Warrior. 
They're going to meet him before the, the matches. No, sorry, Warrior's busy right now, but he'll get you after the match. And then match comes and goes. The kid's still waiting outside in the hallway. Nothing. And then Warrior comes back into his locker room. Sam's door behind him. Won't see the kid. And like they literally have like all these other wrestlers, like Brett and all that, coming up to the little kid going, like, hey, I'm also a wrestler. You know, would you like to hang out with me? Kind of make a wish. And they're like, no, no, I just would like to see the Ultimate Warrior. And like, there's one thing about, right, you're in the airport, you're bothering someone. I get that. I bothered Terry Funk in an airport, and I think about it to this day. It was one of the worst things I ever did in my life. He just <laughs> wanted to eat his old-fashioned hamburger, damn it. But, like, if you're a Make-A-Wish kid, and your dying wish is to go and meet your favourite wrestler at a wrestling show... Yeah. That's pretty much the environment to do an autograph and shake a hand, right? Yeah, you think that's, like, yeah, easy little tiny thing you can do to make someone's life more fulfilling it's literally their dying wish yeah i mean for fuck's sake how I'm... evil do you need to be to deny a child their dying wish and, and you're literally paid to do it exactly right you are you, it's your job that's part of it like that is probably one of like the biggest things and you say what you will about hogan and his reasons for doing it but hogan was mr make-a-wish yeah and many people would kind of cynically go oh well he's only mr make-a-wish so that he could be you know the superhero for kids and all that well fine doesn't matter he made a lot of kids happy even though he's a piece of shit doesn't matter the, the fact that the warrior couldn't even be, you know, introspective enough and smart enough to be selfish for the right reasons, yeah. you know? Like, it, he wants to be famous, but he doesn't want any of the... Like, I would consider, the, like, stuff like that, it's kind of like a benefit of being famous, or at least it's the very... It's, it's, it's the natural order of things, like... You want people to talk about you and want to be around you and to, to want to know you. You've got to do stuff like that. Yeah. You, <laughs> what, you just want people to talk about you in, like, an abstract term and not have to do it? Oh, I just want to be really muscly. And I thought that, you know, in the, the, the new A&E WWE documentary, the, the nice clean-cut one or whatever... That they would try and make out, well, you know, because of his anxiety and because, you know, he struggled around people and he was all wrapped up in his head, that he just couldn't do that. So, no, no, they dug out the two or three little pictures or video clips they had of him make, meeting kids going, oh, the, he loved the fans, he always he loved, God, he couldn't get enough of those fans, absolutely. Like, and honestly, one of the clips I thought the only reason he was smiling was because his fucking wrestling buddy was there as well. Like, you know? <laughs> if you wanted to meet the Ultra Warrior, bring on a piece of merch, you'd be fucking delighted, yeah. I'm sure. Yay! Me! <laughs> <laughs> we now get to the Hogan Warrior confrontation. A passing of the torch, as it's meant to be. Hulk Hogan, according to these various documentaries we've watched, Hulk Hogan was either A, being put out to pasture by Vince McMahon against his will, B, was passing the torch graciously because Hogan Warrior was the next man, brother, or C, he's out of here, he's going to Hollywood, Jack, to become a movie star. It's probably a little combination of all yeah. three, but... I mean, I don't know about passing the torch. I don't think Hogan believes in that. No fucking way. And honestly, I don't think I've ever seen you be as positive about Hogan as when he was talking shit about the Ultimate Warrior. I was disappointed, if anything, that he wasn't talking more shit about the Ultimate Warrior because Hogan is happy to bury anyone and anything. And he's also happy to lie. To oh yeah, Hogan teeth. will bury anything, including the hatchet, you yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he was surprisingly chill with the Ultimate Warrior. I think it's because he knows that most wrestling fans were historically on his side with regards to that. I think you doing that whole, you know, him trying to make out that it was this kind of big sob story. Like, oh, my spot's been taken away from me, brother. Like, even though if that's what he felt deep down inside, he's smart enough and savvy enough to go like, 
well, you know, I wanted what was best for the business, but I don't know if, if, if Ultimate Warrior was the right guy, but I'll do everything in my power as the top guy to help you make it happen, Vince. Like, I felt like he did everything he could so that if it fails, no one could point the finger at him and say, you tried to sabotage this. Right. Because he... I don't think he did. I think he would have liked to <laughs> if he had his way. Yeah, definitely. This leads us to a series of confrontations that begin at the Royal Rumble onwards. It was one of the first times ever that Vince McMahon had booked a good guy versus another good guy, face versus face. Brings us to WrestleMania six, the ultimate challenge, or as Vince McMahon calls it while narrating animation star signs, the ultimate challenge. What a promoter voice that man has. Mr. McMahon, literally. Yeah, right? <laughs> Ten years, eight years before he revealed the character. You could probably like cut together using all the clips of Vincent Man hyping up old WrestleManias in that voice. You could clip together making out like that evil Mr. McMahon was trying to destroy Macho Man Randy Savage <laughs> or Hulk Hogan or whatever you like, really. That intensity is there. This match was, even in the documentary where they were trying to do a hit piece... And in all the documentaries they made of this match was a milestone in wrestling, legendary match, huge big deal. Were you excited going into it on the basis of all that hyperbole? What were you thinking when we were about to settle down for WrestleMania 6, title for title, Hogan versus Warrior? I was not excited. <laughs> Why is that, Joe? Because I don't like Hulk Hogan, and I don't particularly like the Ultimate Warrior either. Fair, fair. So I was a bit worried. Like these are both two men who are not known for their wrestling ability or their work rate. Yeah. And I'm a bit worried that they were having a match together, and that it would be very boring. <laughs> you know what I don't kind of guess is that it feels like there is this narrative that is told by wrestling media. And I say wrestling media, I mean like wrestling media people who are hired to work with WWE, most of whom are like Gen Xers and stuff like that, mm. who can't say, you know what, I like this because of nostalgia. Yeah. Or I like this because I was a kid and I like thinking about when I was a kid. You know, I've watched a lot of fucking groan inducing shit from the Attitude Era and I've never tried to make out something that was great, even when I'm like, have nostalgia, buzz for it, whatever. And I certainly like watching the likes of Survivor Series 1998 with you and all that for, for uh, the Patreon. You know, that has always been eye opening. But I think this insistence that I really think we have to let go that three rest holes straight across 20 minutes is somehow a great wrestling match. And it's not as if, like, oh, it's this old style, like, you just don't get it because it's like this old NWA, like the old Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes stuff we watch where you can kind of go, well, look, it's a different style. It was for people who are watching it live in an arena or whatever it may be or a regional thing. This was meant to be, you know, broadcast around the world, watched by millions, you know, watched forever on DVD and video. And I just got to say, like... Someone look me dead in the eye and tell me that this match is good. Like, is honestly, remembered as being yeah, good. Yeah, people really. say it's the best match Warrior ever had. People say, yeah, but are they saying that? You know, I mean, like, well, they, if they were saying that on the A and E doc, they said it on the Dark Side of the Ring doc, and they said it on the hit piece as well. They had Chris Jericho saying that like, the Ultimate Warrior was a way better wrestler than anyone ever gave him credit for. And when it when the time came, like at WrestleMania six, he put on an excellent match. Now, I would counter the only great match that Warrior truly had was the one against Macho King, which we watched for, for, for Randy Savage. Yeah. And that was probably all written down. It was a great essay that became a great wrestling match. <laughs> but yeah, I just... I don't know why people have to pretend. 
Like, is it part of the kayfabe of wrestling that we have to pretend that lads doing shit chin locks and boring bear hugs is great? I don't know. I don't know. I want, genuinely want to know what how someone would argue this is a good match. Honestly, if you think this match is great, provide me a live commentary of your reactions of when you go, wow. Like, when does the stuff happen? Because the crowd love it, don't get me wrong. But the crowd are like at a fever pitch from the word go. When they ring the bell and the entrances start, crowd, fever pitch, entire way through because they are so into these characters. And I would say the entrances, the spectacle of it all, that is 10 out of 10 for me, unquestionably. Yeah, but then it would be and should be, shouldn't it, with the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan main event WrestleMania? Yeah. Like, really, they would be very much failing if that wasn't a spectacle. And, you know, seeing the shots of the massive audience and the crowd. I mean, you were pointing out how they had these huge video screens. Honestly, I was most impressed by the video screens, because it's 1990, which... It's horrible to think about because, like, that's the year I was born. But also, I was like, "Wow, they have such amazing technology in 1990." <laughs> isn't that long ago? But yeah, they have this massive screen which has like a live feed of what's going on in the ring, and it's it just really impressive and like really adds to the viewing experience. Like the shots that you get where you can see the screen and you can see like on the screen a shot of Hogan coming yeah. out looking intense. Like that's fucking great stuff. Like you know, I didn't get chills or anything, but I came close to getting chills. Like I maybe had some spills, but not necessarily yeah. chills. And when Warrior comes out, this is like peak Warrior. He looks like a complete cartoon character. He's got the the face paint and he's got the painted up chest as well his hair is in this big fucking tina turner bouffant it's yep. fucking amazing like he looks <laughs> he looks like a jojo as you would say he does look like a jojo yeah <laughs> but one of the shit ones hogan's tan in this one is borderline i would have to resign over this in 2021 yeah it's not a good look it is uh it is an interesting deep 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 shade at what point does it become brown face that's all i'm wondering like you know well, i think it's the fact that it's not on his face it's on his back oh i see maybe that's it maybe. I, mean, I don't know but like yeah you're, you're right it's it's borderline offensive there is a lot of posing at the start and that's probably the bit of the match i like the most when yeah. they kind of do a push and then they go you know and all that yeah the flex off tests of strengths there's lots of very sexy moves in this match what, you mean when one of them is doing a test of strength, the other one looks like they're giving each other a blowjob? I mean, I, I try to like not make fun of wrestling for, for those moments because like I feel like outsiders and folks who aren't wrestling fans can look at a random moment and go, ha ha, look at that, men in pants rolling around pretending to fight, that's gay. But when you have Hogan putting Ultimate Warrior in a Greco knuckle lock... And Warrior's literally on his knees. He's like pushing his head down. Like, and then Ho- suck it. Yeah, Hogan literally starts thrusting yeah. into his face. And the camera angle doesn't help either because they are like straight on to the camera, like from back to their back is to the, the camera. So it really, you can't see what's going on other than this bobbing head. This is when the hard camera edict came down. Too yeah. many of you guys looking like you're sucking a dick out there. It's got to <laughs> stop, goddammit. <laughs> There are some really silly moments when they try to do kind of, you know, athletic stuff. When they're crisscrossing oh, the God, ropes. Oh, crisscross. And neither of them can do a drop because they're just 
They're so brittle, they would shatter into a thousand pieces. Like, take down to one knee, slowly, slowly get down. Slowly crawling down. It's like me doing a drop. What did you think of the selling in this one from these two guys? Neither one really known for their uh, their selling or whatnot. Not good. Not good selling at all. Very disappointing. The most disappointing thing in this match was when we went from it being a clash of cartoon characters to a clash of sweaty men, when Hulk Hogan did a chin lock that just seemed to remove the warrior's gimmick from his face. Oh yeah, it just like came off on his arm. Oh, it was all caught up in his eyebrows yeah. as well. I'm surprised that even happened because my God, that headlock was weak as shit. Stone cold <laughs> as a little child, he's fuming. <laughs> you could literally have fit another man's head yeah. in between the space that Hogan had left on his arms there. The crowd are eating up every single bit of it though. Yeah, they love it. Did you like... Did that kind of provide, like, a disconnect? Like, why do you think the crowd were this invested with, like... You know, we, we've watched wrestling from before this time, which had a lot more action, for lack of a better term. Why is it, do you think, the crowd are just so electric? I think it's just because of the merchandising power of the WWE. Mm. Like, they've just made these two men into such big brands. Like, they really are, like, cartoon characters come to life. Like, especially for the fans. And if you're invested in it, like... Yeah. So you don't really care, I imagine, at that point in time if they were really good wrestlers or not because you're just here to see them. I think when you get caught up in that, you know, and it's it's something that you've carried with you for a few years or whatever. You know, we talk about Edge being a Hogan fan. Edge, we mentioned in the episode, he's in the crowd. You know, yes. the little Hulk Hogan outfit and all that that his mom made for him. And I recently rewatched the avengers endgame and infinity war recently i remember when i watched endgame in the cinema you know you were there with me i was bawling my eyes out bawling i could i was crying for initially two hours straight <laughs> i'm not even the biggest marvel fan in the world i'm like yeah i'll watch them like you know grand you know i liked the comics when i was younger grand you know i'm not that invested i was bawling my eyes out but i think it's just when you get brought along on a journey and then you're kind of it's there in your face boom and everyone else around you is fucking feeling that emotion like humans are very social creatures and i think there is a very infectiousness about emotion and this is it here i think that's something that maybe is not interesting as much anymore no you're right and i think as well as a an element of anticipation that goes with it as well like these Mm. feuds would have been built up for quite a while beforehand so they never touch you know yeah they would have um the fans would have gotten really into like the the hype of oh it's coming it's coming it's coming to the point where when it actually happens you're so excited about it finally being here you care less about the actual standard like you're not going to have hogan and warrior in a tag match together the night before anything like that or hogan and warrior happens on smackdown before the wrestlemania to give you a taste of what's going to happen at wrestlemania (laughs) get some butts and seats Every single type of rest hold and hope spot is done in this. Every one that they can do the, you know, one, two, they do a double knockout. Yeah. They have, you know, I think three times where someone is in a headlock or a sleeper where that hand starts going down. Yeah. Warrior shakes the ropes. He starts hulking up. Yeah. How come he's allowed to just hulk up when Hogan's right there? Mm. Like, how does Hogan not have beef with that? I mean, hulking up is just the term that Hogan came up for when he did it. But, like, we see with Dusty Rhodes, he would dance around and yeah, start, Yeah, but that's you know... different. He would dance. He looked different. Whereas Warrior is literally hulking up. He's doing the same thing where every time he gets punched, he starts shaking and gets shaking more and more and more and more until he's, like, really powerful. That's just what Hulk Hogan does. He shakes the ropes, I guess. That makes it a little bit different. Yes. But, yeah, you're right. They're very, 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 very similar in their kind I of... If I was Hogan, I'd be fucking pissed. <laughs> We've got two very wet men in a bear hug. At which point Joe turned to me and said, 
You said there's two of these matches and this was the good one. Are you sure this is the good one? <laughs> At this point, Warrior is made 10 songs deep into a Just Dance marathon because he's sweating, the upper body is moving like crazy, but the footwork has gone to pop like, you know? He's struggling to maintain that level of energy throughout the match and he looks like his legs are going to fall off. You yeah. Know, toward, you have to do that, like the dance on the spot. That's really hard to do, that footwork. Yeah, it is. Good God almighty. So we have Hogan technically winning, but the referee is nowhere to be seen. And Hogan makes sure he does the big counter. Everyone yeah. knows that he definitely... He would have won. He would have won. And then we get the gorilla press to Hogan. And then Hogan actually hooks up. He goes for the leg drop. He misses. And then we get the splash ultimate warrior wins and you were immediately incredulous like stop wait what what that's the finish yeah it was really anticlimactic it came out of nowhere and i didn't like that like this match was basically just them each having a turn on doing like the big move (laughs) no i'm hooking up now it was like yeah it was like watching two brothers like (laughs) play fighting with a, a parent overseeing the whole thing and making sure now let your brother have a turn with the pin Okay, pinfall. Okay, now now it's other brothers' turn. Okay, play nice. So you bring up brothers, and I can't help but mention Vince McMahon. Uh, surprise, surprise, folks! It did pop up uh, a couple of times again about Jim Helwig viewing Vince McMahon as yes, that's right, it's happened. A father figure. Hey, that's a bingo. Did you remember what Vince McMahon said when he was asked about that? I'll never forget. This was amazing. So he said that yes. Jim Helwig probably viewed their relationship as like a father and son mentorship. And he made it very clear that that was a one-way relationship and that he did not ever see the Ultimate Warrior as a son. He says, I've got a son. (laughs) His name's Shane or something, I think. I don't know. And also, as well, Shane McMahon did get a look at him in the documentaries. He did. I got a picture (laughs) of it as well. He is billed as friend. Friend. Friend of who? We just don't know. The Ultimate Warrior, I'm assuming. And you know, Shay would be like, oh, the Ultimate Warrior used to come around to the house. He'd have dinner. He's very different to what you think. And like, wow. <laughs> and the Ultimate Warrior, like, would he have done the dishes? Uh, if he was asked to, he would He would have. He would have in, hypothetically. But he didn't, no. No. Of course he fucking didn't do the dishes. Can you imagine him doing the dishes? No, I, li- I literally can't It'd imagine him. It would be so him. stressful. Have you ever seen anyone do the dishes when they're really angry? I just feel like if someone's not going to meet a Make-A-Wish kid, he's probably not going to do the dishes. No. The charity stops right there. Yeah. Charity stops, starts at home, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, at the end of this one, where Warrior picks up the win, he's given both belts... And Hogan comes in, they embrace another fucking rest hole. This bear hole, Jesus Christ, would you let it go, lads? Hogan in the self-destruction, he goes, Well, I knew something was up when 68,000 people watched me leave as opposed to watching the new guy with the belt, but couldn't say I didn't warn you. That's like the most harsh thing he says about Warrior. It is really fucking cutting because I think fans were genuinely delighted. They were invested. That's what I don't understand. Is like, I don't think it's even true. Like, of all of your grievances to have... You're you're making out as though no one was watching him win when the you know the cameras weren't even on Hogan when he was leaving. And I don't like this idea as well. Like that they always they always do this where Vince McMahon is like, oh, we we're planning for this thing and planning and planning and planning, and then I secretly got sick and tired of it, so I kind of self sabotaged a bit. But I'm going to blame it on the other person. Like Warriors title reign, which lasts around nine months, and everyone makes out it's this big disappointment. Everyone's upset because they thought it would have been like fun. you know Hogan had developed for three or four years. They would have thought, oh, surely Warrior's going to have it four or five years at the very, very least. But, like, if you set it up where 
Hogan's the top guy, Hogan's the top guy, Hogan's the top guy. Then you remove Hogan from your TV show so he can go off and take a break or whatever. And then Ultimate Warrior, like the main thing they do with him straight away is they have him go with Rick Rude again. And he's already, oh. he's already done that. Like, so, That's strange. Oh, and all of a sudden business is down. So fuck the Ultimate Warrior, I guess. It's like when you spend all that time hiding someone's shortcomings and then you decide you don't want to hide them anymore. Is that that person's fault? I don't know. I felt I felt a little bit bad for him with his title reign, I would wish. I don't know if I do or not, because like on the one hand, yeah, it's not entirely his fault. Like the WWE should have recognized he doesn't have ability. Mm. And also like just by talking to the people he wrestled with, they would have been able to tell that. Yeah. That he was hard to work with and stuff. But also, I don't think it's entirely unfair for them to expect of him, you know, now you've been given the top spot, we want you to we expect you to work harder. We expect yeah. you to, you know, to maybe train more and, and meet some a, of these make a wish kids, yeah, maybe like, you know? Do your job maybe. You know, if you really wanted this spot as much as you claim you did. So you know, I think it's a bit of bit of one, bit of another. Yeah, no, definitely. What was your match rating for the ultimate challenge then, Joe? Guess. Um well, you said the first one was your favourite, and that was two stars, so I'm going to guess 1.5? No. One? No. None! No stars! No stars! This was really bad. Didn't like this match at all. This is maybe one of the worst matches I've ever seen. What was it, if you could give me the headline about what it was about this match that you didn't like? Really boring. Really boring. So boring. So many rest holds. They weren't even good. Like, I don't... I even mind rest holds if they're done well. But, like, I could do a better headlock than they were doing to each other. Could you imagine showing this match to someone who was, like, I don't know, like, 20 or younger? (laughs) What, like, isn't 20 or younger right now? Yeah, as in, like, showing it to a youngster. I don't think... I, they might even say it was good because they'd probably be on their phone. Oh! Because they have good taste and they'd realise this is not worth watching. I wish I had been on my phone. <laughs> that is not a good takeaway from a match. I really wanted to be playing Roller Coaster Tycoon the whole time. I'm really sorry that you weren't able to play Roller Coaster Tycoon because you just had to take, you had to be there, you had to watch this match. Like The you know? worst part of it though was knowing that I had to watch another match between <laughs> both Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> I am genuinely sorry. We'll do a really fun episode after this, I swear, like, you know. Bloody better. <laughs> His feud with Macho Man, I mean, I think the thing that came out of that really was, you know, that excellent retirement match that we watched, you know, for, for the Macho Man episode that we mentioned. But the fact that he didn't even get to kind of feud for the belt with Macho Man, I think that could have gotten him to the next level. But they already were taking the belt off of him before the next WrestleMania. They put it back on like Sergeant Slaughter to do kind of a an, an Iraqi sympathizer gimmick. So wow. they were going different directions. And it felt like the Warrior was absolutely not Vince's favorite boy anymore. And they kind of you know make out that... War in in the dark side of the ring and in the A&E doc, they were kind of talking about how kind of crushed the warrior was by all of this, you know, that his kind of his big moment had come and he felt that they didn't have his back anymore. And I think that added into the paranoia of like him not wanting to work with people. Jake the Snake Roberts in the dark side of the ring, he talks about when he was meant to be teamed up with the warrior and do like a feud for the belt and yeah. make, make some, probably the biggest money he ever would have made in his life. Yeah. 
And what Warrior said to him was fucking shocking. What did he say? He was like, first things first, I don't give a shit about you or your family. I don't care about your fucking problems. I care about one thing, me and my money. And if you're out there and if I can't rely on you and you fuck up with your fucking problems or your fucking family or anything like that, I don't get... You know, he was just reading him the riot act. I bet he thought he sounded so cool when he was saying that, like a big, tough guy. Imagine saying that to Jake the Snake Roberts. Like, you know, it's just so... And I think, like... For someone like Jake, who has generally had the respect of his peers, you yeah. know, and was was respected just for being someone who was very, very good at doing something that most wrestlers struggled with, that for me showed that yeah, okay, he's anxious, he's maybe even depressed, he's got father figure issues, he definitely has issues with with his wife on the road, he's cheating on her, he probably has, you know, I mean, he's definitely on the fucking gas, lads. If we can, we yeah. can all agree on that. But like, that ain't an excuse. No, he's a dick. I mean, like, I didn't realise I was able to... Like, I'm fucking anxious. Am I allowed to go around and be a fucking monster to everyone I love and care about or all my colleagues? I didn't realise that to be nice. (laughs) What's this, brother? Great, another thing to be anxious about. I just want to be famous so I can never see anyone ever again. Like, I, I don't know, it just... You know, there's times where we talk about someone and there's like, right, look, this isn't excusing it, this is explaining it. But I feel that Warriors explanation neither excuses nor explains his, his behaviour. Yeah. No, it makes no sense to me. I think he just was someone who could not get on with people. Yeah, it, he's a very unsympathetic person. Yeah, because he, he himself was so unsympathetic to yeah. his peers. And not just to his peers, but to everyone. To fucking dying children. Brooklyn Brawler in the self-destruction documentary says that he would refuse to shake people's hands. I only saw you yesterday. I don't need to shake your hand again. What is this? The handshaking convention. <laughs> all right, like you know, get over yourself. I mean, I get, yeah, all the social norms we have to do. Like, for, could you imagine if the Ultimate Warrior was around during COVID? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I refuse to wear a mask. I will not be chained by society's norms. <laughs> Fucking dickheads. And this all comes to a head where you know he's in his mind. He's getting, you know, he feels that his star is on the rise. Vince McMahon thinks, nah, probably not. I'm going to go back with Hogan. I reckon. You know, there's a Gulf War going on. People need to believe in America again, not an ultimate warrior. <laughs> not in space. We head to the match made in hell at the SummerSlam in the following year, where the story was that he held Vince up for money. Now, in my mind, if I hear a wrestler holds someone up for money, I'm assuming, right, he's backstage literally in his gear going, I'm not going out that door until you put the money in my hand right now. Like, I get a big Sopranos envelope. Right. But Warrior wrote a letter to Vince. Yes. And there's a copy of the letter out there yeah you can read it if you want to some of the contents of the letter did anything you you recalled from it i can't remember the details only there were a couple of really funny little lines which were just sad and pathetic he was like main thing that he wanted was that he wanted the exact same money and treatment as hulk hogan because he was as big a star if not bigger than hogan yeah that was the main takeaway i took was that he he pathetically wanted the Hogan deal, which is just ridiculous. Because Hogan was on top for three years, and then, you know, maybe Hogan's the on top for at this point. Hogan's on top for like eight years. If wow, you know. it's it's you know time's ticking away now. You like, know, yeah, you can't just come into an industry where like literally he's he's got like less experience working in the industry than Hogan has literally on top of the industry. Yeah. And there he is demanding the exact same deal. Like not just in terms of the money, which is one thing, but also in terms of like, you know, creative control and the cut of the merch sales yeah. and all like this other stuff. That's like, 
you can't just like it's one thing as well to like to to mention that in a meeting and say like negotiate to get those terms added to your contract but to then hold up a show ransom and be like no i'm just not going to show up and i'm one of your top guys i just won't bother if you don't just give me everything i want that i've just demanded right now like the bare minimum thing that you should know about in wrestling if you were a wrestler in the 80s or 90s is just accept that hulk hogan is this big deal yeah, yeah if rick flair could understand that yeah, macho man seriously. could understand that and even vince mcmahon could understand yeah. that you got to understand that this guy is just he was a special fish like you know he was different you know not saying that it's justified or it's earned but that's literally the economics of the wrestling industry and the World Wrestling Federation were built around Hulk Hogan yeah. being the fucking epicenter of it all. And there are three different versions of what it went down on the three different documentaries. In one documentary, Vince says, yeah, I paid him. And, I, and I'm, I'm sick to my stomach that I did that, but he made me do it and I did it. And another one, the most recent one, he's like, I think I am, um, well, quite frankly, I made of a, Send a letter back to him. I made illusions that he would get what he would want, but I had no intention of ever giving him what he wanted. <laughs> and I could not wait to fire him, quite frankly. Vince writes a letter back. Yes. And it's fucking scathing. It's amazing. It's, the letter, I think he gets given to him after he's fired, yes. right? So basically, in the match, at this show that he was holding up ransom, there's a moment where the Ultimate Warrior like chases someone backstage with a chair and Vince was apparently standing there in the gorilla position waiting, yep. gleefully ready, rubbing his Ooh, hands. Charging it up. You're fired! <laughs> There's something so funny about the match made in hell, yeah. Ultimate Warrior running with an upside down chair and it'd be like, what? I'm, did, you say? did you just call me a liar? Oh, I'm what? Also, here's I'm on a, fire? <laughs> and here's a letter as well explaining why you're a, quote, legend in your own mind. That's so cutting. I oh. love how cruel Vince can be. That's, you know what? It was the first time I think anyone actually said no. Yeah. <laughs> no. Bad warrior. Big fucking ego. Shut the fuck up. No. <laughs> Someone should have done that long, long ago. I know other amazing. wrestlers probably could have done with that as well. Yeah. You know, but other wrestlers didn't make the carnal mistake of holding up Vince for money. Yeah. And in the self destruction DVD, they use the phrase the ultimate no no in this business three separate times. <laughs> this is one of them. Yes. <laughs> they talked about like how, you know, Sergeant Slaughter and Hogan, they were like, yeah, well. You know, maybe we could we could figure something out here. You know, and, and Slaughter straight up says they were like, "Let's go outside and have Iron Sheik break his leg." Yeah. And Hogan's recollection of it is, well, there were some discussions that there would be, um, you know, a certain element of the uh, of the old school. <laughs> what having the Iron Sheik break your legs? Yeah. Like, you know, you know me, Janice. I'm old school. I have the Iron Sheik break your legs. Like, but I appreciate they ran this past Vince. Yeah. Who was like, you idiots. Now I know I've had it, you can't do it. So obviously I have to say no. So no. They I should mean, have just done it. Ask it, for forgiveness. Yeah, it's much not easier, permission. right? Yeah. I th I, but that shows, shows you, like, that's the point where they were at, where your peers are like, yeah, we're all millionaires, but let's break this man's leg live on pay-per-view. Like, that just shows how, like, how disrespectful he was to everyone and the industry. Like, if you can get to, like, there's so many people who have fucked up in this industry, and yet this is the first time anyone has gone, yeah, let's just, let's just break his legs. Yeah, this is the closest Hogan ever came to unionising. It was yeah. the union of <laughs> men to break together. the ultimate warrior's we'll break his legs. legs. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> Vince in the self-destruction documentary. I could not wait to fire him. Yeah. It, it gave me great pleasure. Oh, he says that in all of them, I'm pretty sure. It's like the one <laughs> common thread is he loved firing the Ultimate Warrior. 
So Warrior is officially placed on hiatus. You know, that is officially what they, they say is happening. That he's, so he's not fired? Hiatus. Mm. So I think he's still technically under contract, but he's going to go away for a little bit, get his head right, have a divorce, come back, get everything back together. Now, when he returns at WrestleMania 8, and this is the point now where it almost feels like the biggest thing the Ultra Warrior can do is return and that's not a really good way to get into in wrestling where like your all your biggest pops are when you come back because you've been away. Yes. And it's not even because of injury, you know? And he could have been away with a broken leg this whole time. He was gone <laughs> so long. And he comes back at WrestleMania 8 to... Uh, basically, it's it, the smaller is, is the theme of it. Smaller reaction, smaller pop, smaller crowd, smaller pay, smaller warrior. Bigger fringe, but yes. everything else is smaller. Which leads to the semi-persistent theory online over the years. I love this. <laughs> There's a theory that the Ultimate Warrior actually died. Yeah. I, this is the thing. So I, I'm, what, of embarrassment? I'm disappointed that no one went a step further and said that when everyone was threatening to break his legs, they actually killed him. It's like, you know what, we'll just, we'll just kill him, Vince. We'll, we'll, make, we'll get a new one, man. like... We'll do what we did, like... Well, I'll do him like I did Paul McCartney, brother. <laughs> back when John Lennon asked me to be in the Beatles and I said, no chance, Jack. Yeah, some people literally believe that he died and then they secretly replaced the Ultimate Warrior with a new Ultimate Warrior. Because the only way the Ultimate Warrior could get smaller or have a fringe is not because he's, like, not working out as much or on steroids as much. It has to be that it's a doppelganger that yeah. has come in to replace him. I love him. that. I mean, what else can we say that about with wrestling? Who, who else was secretly killed and then replaced by a clone in Vince McMahon's basement? <laughs> I mean, like, this is really sad in the A&E doc where they have, you know, they're talking about, you know, he's back, he's smaller, he's, he's, they don't straight up say it, but it's like, oh, you know, people are sniffing around about steroids yeah. and all that, and Paul Heyman does the thing of the A&E doc where it's like, it's one of the most disrespectful, horrible things that ever happened when they outlawed steroids. It was so wrong. They made out that it was like crooked that he took steroids. It's like, well, not very good for you. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, everyone going to go like, oh, well, the rest is just a performance. You wouldn't give a shit if the mountain took steroids in Game of Thrones. I'm like, yeah, but if like, all the cast members of Game of Thrones started dropping like flies from heart conditions in their 50s because they all took loads of steroids, then, yeah, maybe steroids weren't a great thing for wrestling to have their, their toes in, you know? Mm. It's bad. But they show all these footage of, like, it's Warriors Return, him, like, working out, looking all intense. And then the camera stops, and he's like, <sighs> and Vince goes, come on, Jim, more intense. More intense. Work out harder. Be bigger. Be better. It's just the, the pressure's on now. Yeah. That cursed singlet they put him in. Oh, the one with the fake muscles on. What the fuck? Was that they put him in that, or did he? I feel like he just decided I want I want that singlet. Who? I mean, I don't think they'd force him to wear anything. I don't think they could have. Like, I feel maybe he saw Rob Van Dam and was like, "That's cool, spray paint singlet <laughs> looks good on him." Look at that young Robbie V. Yeah, like, I'll, yeah, I'll have one with muscles on. Fucking hell! Around this time as well, he got cursed by Papa Shango. <laughs> My notes here get quite ridiculous. Please, regale me. Warrior is cursed. Sick everywhere. Slime coming out of his head. It's black slime as well. It was. It was black slime. Like Alexa Bliss's black slime. So I wonder if like any of the, the lore heads out there can uh, can weave in the story of Papa Shango and the Ultimate Warrior vis-a-vis Randy Orton, Alexa Bliss and Bray oh. Wyatt. 
It's all connected. It's all connected. Everything's connected if you don't give a shit. Do you reckon they used on Alexa Bliss the exact same headband full of slime that they used (laughs) in the Ultimate Warrior 20 years prior? This is a very special slime headband, Alexa. (laughs) This is the same one we cursed Ultimate Warrior with. (laughs) At this point, they're talking, you know, he's a loader on the roads. The the lack of a love of wrestling is very apparent now that he's no longer kind of the top guy or going to be considered the top guy. 1992, he fails a drug test. And they're, they're saying, oh, we had a very vehement anti-drug policy in the World Wrestling Federation at the time. I always feel like they drug test him because they wanted him out the door. Oh, yeah. I am pretty you sure know. that is what they did. I mean, drug tests in 1992? Yeah. Really? I mean, when was the steroid trial? 93, but they would have been yeah. gathering evidence from 91 onwards, you know? They I knew it was coming. quite easy to pick and choose who you want to test at that point, isn't it? Yeah, right. <laughs> who gets to go on a holiday? Yeah. You know, who gets to fucking, you know, get a drug test? So a warrior, he's gone in 1993, and that's it. He's done with them. Like, contract's gone, he's done, he's finished. And a really bad parting of the ways. Like. So up until that point, his contract had been continued? Yes. So wow. he, he hadn't kept on that whole time. Like So he was getting some pay when he was away the first yeah. time, which is kind of ridiculous in yeah. my mind. But yeah, this time he's absolutely gone. And he's decided he's going to start a new business for himself. Warrior University! Oh, no! What was Warrior University, Joe? It's just Trump University, but with the <laughs> Ultimate Warriors logo instead of Trump's logo. Uh, more people, I think more people graduated from Trump University than Warrior University. Or at least they learned how to file a class action lawsuit. <laughs> they gained some skills from that. Yeah, Vince said that no one graduated from uh, Ultimate Warrior University. Warrior, what is it called? Warrior University. Just Warrior University, okay. The reason it's called Warrior University is because in 93 he also changed his name legally to warrior and why did he do that because he wanted to have ownership of the ultimate warrior character right now i'm confused about this because i did a bit of digital law back in the day yeah not l-o-r-e but l-a-w yeah is digi law is that like the laws of the digimon or yes okay it, it is and we learned in the class i took that you can if you change your name say to like if i change my name to joe pepsi I shouldn't. Whoa, be. hang on a second. <laughs> Is there something going on in that other podcast that I don't okay. know about? <laughs> if Sam changed his name to Sam Pepsi. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. In theory, I think you would be allowed to call Cinema Swirl the Pepsi podcast because it's named after your name. Okay. But then Vince was saying on the documentary that it doesn't work that way around. You have to be named it before the commercialization of the name. Like, you can't stop someone from changing their name like Ryback changed his name to Ryback right yes but you know I don't it doesn't necessarily then give you the person the rights to use it commercially no it, it really just feels like kind of a, a real dumb way you think you're going to get ahead of like copyright law and yeah. I feel like if a copyright lawyer really wanted to get you on that they could I think with the case of Ryback it's simply the case that no one gives a shit at the but moment like, I know? don't know though because like Ultimate Warrior was allowed to continue like the fact that he was allowed his comic Warrior. book Warrior War- yeah, not he- the Ultimate Warrior but that's it but he changed his name to Warrior not the Ultimate Warrior and I wonder if he hadn't changed his name to Warrior if he'd even be allowed to use that word I don't know I think that that word the reason he probably got away with it his lawyers could have argued you know the Dingo Warrior it was yes, something that happened beforehand, beforehand. Yeah. and he's not saying he's the Ultimate Warrior he's saying he is Warrior mm. but the thing is, is that on commentary they would go oh Warrior here no one's called him Ulti or anything 
like yeah. that. You know, Warrior was his moniker. It's what he was known as. So I think it kind of... I mean, he did win the lawsuit later on. You right. know, he did get the control of it. Ultimate Creations, Inc. owned the Ultimate Warrior property and branding and all that. So, you know, that is that is something that he did come out victorious on. So, I mean... They spent a lot of time in 2005 in the documentary making fun of them for it. Yes. And it's probably a dubious legal avenue to pursue, but he pursued it doggedly and he, he got what he wanted. Yeah. You know, he had the Warrior University. He had a Warrior comic that came out with Image. Hundreds of thousands of these things were made. They sold probably a couple of hundred of them. Oh. You know, I think someday we might sit down and have a look through some of those comics together, one of which where he bounds and gags a naked Santa Claus. It, oh. it is some pretty weird, wild shit. That's so strange. Why is he so strange? I don't know. I mean, it, this is the thing. is like, there is no, at this point, distinction, it feels like, between Jim Helwig, or should I say Warrior, and the character of Ultimate Warrior. Well, what is the character of the Ultimate Warrior? It's just him be- being intense. Well, like... All that shit we were reading about in, you know, his promos and all that. This is all the stuff now, which is, like... This, like, the Warrior University had this, like, ten-page-long doctrine. This fucking treatise. It was like a fucking... It was like a manifesto. <laughs> Talking about distrucity! And every, every man has inside them the will and the power and the destiny. The destiny that was created on the apex. And just, you know, on and on and on. This weird fucking shit. So what was it? Like a wrestling school? Yeah, mixed in with kind of like life coaching, but it was mainly wow. just a gym. And that's where he met That's where he met Dana. Dana. Really? Yeah, Dana's where he met her. What, she signed up to the ultimate... Yeah. Sorry, to the Warrior University. She was involved in bodybuilding. That was, you know, oh. how she got in. And, you know, she tells the story. She saw him, like, and he followed around like a puppy dog for ages and ages. Stalked her. You know, and, oh, she, you know, she, she couldn't say no to him. He was so sweet and all that. And... You know, they genuinely seem like they were very much in love. I'm not going to dispute that and deny that. The one thing I will say, though, is is that she definitely had an influence on him as a person and his politics as well. Yeah. You know, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. In 1996, during the new generation, when audiences were down, when ratings were down, buy rates were down, houses were down, everything was down. It was a much smaller time in wrestling, for lack of a better term, particularly in the World Wrestling Federation. Warriors brought back once again, 1996. And this is the warrior that Joe first got introduced to when we reviewed Good Friends, Better Enemies for pay-per-view classic over on the Patreon page. Yeah, when he wore a hat. He did, he wore a hat. And hats would be a bit of a theme of his return here. Hatgate, parts one and two. (laughs) Vince McMahon describing his rationale for bringing back the Ultimate Warrior in 1996 in the self-destruction documentary. He still had some juice left. (laughs) Like a big old piece of gum being chewed up. He looked in a bad way. Oh, yeah. He looks like he's melting. Like tired. Yeah. Somehow gaunt, but also bloated and like just... Well, it's often the way, I think, with bodybuilders when they keep that muscle on for so long. It does. It tires the body out. Testosterone has got to be all completely... Yeah. When your testosterone gets, you know, completely fucked up by steroid use or whatever it is, or even just, you know, intense bodybuilding... It makes the body go through all these weird changes. It's like, honestly, his body is like a seeing eye picture at times. Because you see him in still images and go, that's the warrior. He's fucking ripped. He's jacked. And then he'll kind of like turn, you know, camera gets in closer and he looks like he's, you know, he looks like he's 50, 60 years old. You know, he looks like one of those old bodybuilder guys you'd see on a Louis Theroux documentary or something like that. But the reality is, is that, you know, (laughs) 
in the 05 documentary, they're going like, well, you know, Warriors fans had kind of moved on at that point. They didn't really care about the Warriors much anymore. The reality is, is people didn't care about wrestling as much anymore. You know, so there were smaller audiences and those that were there didn't really care about the Warrior that much because they were hardcore fans. Not the little kids who were 11 who were obsessed with the Ultimate Warrior in 1991, you know? Mm. Those, like, it's something that WWE never seems to understand. People grow out of wrestling and get sick of it. Yeah. They're not, not coming back because, oh, it's this particular character is missing or anything like that. No, they just grow up. They move on, like, you yeah. know? We have a little segment where Triple H talks about his experience with the Ultimate Warrior <laughs> at WrestleMania 11, I believe it was. Best bit is, Triple H calls him a dickwad. <laughs> It is. We should point out this is hummus, two thousands leather jacket, chewing gum, cool guy, Triple H. Yeah, a bit of a jerkwad, a bit of a dick, uh, dickwad. <laughs> so how I went down when Ultimate Warrior and Triple H locked horns at WrestleMania. So basically, it's. I mean, it's, it's what we should have all expected, I guess, and that it was. You know, he came in and Triple H got to do his finisher. I think it was the pedigree. And then the Ultimate Warrior just is like gets up immediately. He's like, no. And then wins. <laughs> Fun. Poor guy, like. I never felt sorry for Triple H in my life before. Like, I you still know. don't. <laughs> and of course, the other big controversy that happened during Warrior's return, Hatgate. It did happen. <laughs> he was due to feud with Jerry the King Lawler over the fact that Ultimate Warrior had not approached Jerry Lawler to draw a bound, gagged, S&M Santa Claus being abused by the Ultimate Warrior. Like, why didn't you get me to do that? I love loads of sick shit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, th- their feud was was off to a bad start. Yeah, Jerry Lawler was really pissed because Warrior came in wearing a baseball cap <laughs> and it looks really stupid. Like, I thought it looked stupid him wearing a fedora. Him wearing a baseball cap with his little ponytail. It's so oh funny. Like, it's so petty to dedicate a whole section of this documentary for like, and one time he wore a hat. Can yeah, but it's ridiculous. It? it is. You know, I've watched that clip so many times because I, oh, I just laugh so much because he comes out doing the warrior run with this little like, yep, look at his face with his hat kind of pulled Why down. Why is he wearing a hat? I don't want anyone to recognize me. <laughs> I thought either A, I had gum in my hair. Mm. Or maybe he was trying to distract from the fact that his face paint looked fucking rubbish. Mm. He's had plain black fucking marker smeared on his very face. dark sided like, I, I lends more credence to the idea that he was killed and replaced with a secret doppelganger who didn't know how to do the face paint yeah but it's like, and you know, didn't realize you're not supposed to wear a hat he wore a hat right the ultimate warrior famously wore a baseball cap look ultimate warrior's back in the new generation and he's got a new hat ladies and gentlemen oh my i, I can't think of a single wrestler who it's more inappropriate for them to come back wearing a hat <laughs> like he's not even bald like hogan never even wore a hat like come on he's fucking balls oh gee and it's just like you can see in all these in-ring bits where vincent mann is there going right the reason ultimate warrior is back here now is that we've negotiated some contract where he's going to talk about distrucity warrior university like all like the reason he's wearing the hat is like look warrior branded hat created by a destiny written in the stars a million miles away you know <laughs> he's just got all this shit to plug basically yeah Vince looks in some of the in-ring segments with Warrior in 96 like he's about to burst out laughing. (laughs) Him and Jerry exchanging looks like, what is he on? Yeah, I think this is, if there was a time where Vince is like, fuck this guy, I'm just going to try and squeeze him for all he's worth. Yeah. This This is is it. it. Yeah, this is it here. (laughs) So he gets fired 
for realsies this time. I thought you got fired for realsies last time. Well, this is fired. You're never, ever coming back. Because Joe, he committed the ultimate no-no in this business. And the ultimate no-no in this business is missing dates. He didn't show up uh, when advertised. Uh, yeah, you can't do that. And Vince made a very clear point. I think it's fair to say, he goes, I have a responsibility to the audience if I advertise something to deliver it. Yeah. And if you just don't show up, then it's no good. Now, when they say his father passed away and he was estranged from, and Vince in the 05 doc, he's like, but he hadn't seen him in 10 years. I think it's a load of, that's bogus. I don't know. I feel like if your dad dies, even if you are a bit estranged, I mean, that would probably be even more reason to go to the funeral, I would think, in some people's minds. They don't say, though, whether or not he was actually attending the funeral, because Vince kind of makes it out as though he just didn't show up and yeah. didn't tell anyone he wasn't going to show up. And then up, use that as an excuse. And then use it as an excuse, which, that would piss you off. Especially yeah. if he was estranged from his dad. But, like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's just Vince putting a negative spin on things and if actually... Warrior did call up and be like, hey man, my dad's dead. I'm really broken up about it. I need some time off. And, and he misses like, multiple dates as well. Like, it's yeah. not a one-off thing. It's loads. Like, it's so embarrassing. They show this clip of like, it's in kayfabe of WWF President Gorilla Monsoon. He's like, I want to apologize to the fans for the fact that the Ultimate Warrior decided not to show up to all the events that you paid for. So I'm suspending him indefinitely until he posts an appearance bond. Amazing. Never heard of this. appearance bond. What is that? Basically, he has to give them a deposit, which they'll hold on to if he doesn't show up to his agreed upon dates. That's such a good idea. If I ever did get appearance bonds for anyone in the Podcrabs universe, we'll know that the fucking things are falling apart. Like, you know. (laughs) Get an appearance bond for me showing up. It's in my own house. You have to get an appearance bond for some of them Thunderdome pay-per-views, in fairness. (laughs) But, like, there's so many of these, like, really embarrassing moments for the warrior on and off camera like that they really fuels that anxiety and that kind of for lack of a better term the madness that was going on in his head and the the refuge for the ultimate warrior away from all of that is all the the bullshit the the distrucity the the destiny written in the in the skyline and all, all this weird you know prophecies all this strange metaphysical nonsense the one that really struck me and just made me go you know, this guy's this guy's he ain't for real, like he's not the real deal. And it was funnily enough, again, in the WWE A and E, the new biopic that's come out that's meant to make you kind of think that he's all great and all that. And again, you gotta go check this biopic out, folks. And you might think, Oh, it's this, you know, horrible saccharine thing. Some of this footage though, where they're attempting to make you sympathize or even empathize with the warrior, and no, it doesn't happen at all. The bit where he snaps at the little kid in the airport. Oh, yeah, that's so funny. Oh, my God. This it, is gold. This is the stuff that I think Vince had a little personal hand in. Because you never see this stuff, ever. Like, I feel no. like it's it's almost sacrilegious in the industry to, like, show this stuff. Like, wrestlers going in and out of character. Unless it's to show how talented they are and how they do it so seamlessly. Like, you never see people struggle with this stuff. And yet, Vince, I think he was like you got to show this. Yeah, no, it certainly says that um, that Ultimate Warrior is part of the brand now, but Vince McMahon still has beef with the yeah. Ultimate Warrior. The story goes is that little kids, like many before him, went up to the Ultimate Warrior in an airport asking for an autograph. You know, this would have been during the early 90s. And he gave him the usual, No, fuck off, I won't, uh, I won't sign your autograph, get out of here. Because he was a challenging person, the Ultimate Warrior. You have to understand, you know, he was—he was, he was, he wasn't <laughs> like he was, he was different, like you and me, you know. Fucking hell! Anyway, he screams his head off this little kid. Turns out, oh, the kid's connected. 
<laughs> he knows some higher ups from some big sponsors for WWE, which could cause a big headache for Vince McMahon. And the only way the Ultimate Warrior can get out of the doghouse is by recording a special little apology promo for the little boy. So funny. Ah. So funny. And we've got like fucking two or three minutes of the Ultimate, Ultimate Warrior going, and I apologise if I may have been slightly short with you. I'm Vince, I can't. Why am I doing this, Vince? I don't even say anything to this little fucking guy. I wish I did say something at this point. Girl, he's so fucking ornery and stroppy and about Vince it. Vince is there going like, go, do it, do it again. It's a, More intense. It's a work. We're working. Do your job. Yeah, literally do your job. I will never apologize to that little boy whose heart I broke. And Warrior's getting more and more angry and frustrated. It's so beautiful to watch it's it absolutely lovely and i do you know what i imagine it's really fucking hard doing that like it's hard to yeah. come up with something on the spot that's like coherent you know we take it for granted but kevin's very good at this and a lot of the stuff with podcasting it actually just comes out of nowhere it's amazing all Hang those on. intros let me check the script yes that's right <laughs> go on you've your next line now <laughs> but I, I can't imagine how difficult it would be to do something where you're both in character and apologising for something you did and you're upset about it. <laughs> so that is hard. But because it's the ultimate warrior and he's a piece of shit. So deserved. It's so funny. And then to have Vince standing there berate him, say, do your job, do your job and do it with more intensity. Do it better. I just love the idea that Dana Warrior watched that documentary going, yeah, that's very sympathetic for him. <laughs> that shows you how off in fucking cloud cuckoo land that she is. Like, you know, so full of bullshit that they all were that like i don't know like the fact that warrior now we're, we're talking about the late 90s we're getting into and he's just kind of spiraling around with all this madness in his head you know any any anything that's happening in his career at the moment is really just people trying to capitalize on what he once had even though warrior thinks that he's going to be this you know, positive force in the world, like a life coach almost for all the little warriors who followed him who are all probably in their fucking 20s now at this point. And there's one place you go to in 1998 where if they're going to try and capitalize on a bit of yesteryear, maybe put a fresh spin on it. And that takes us to WCW, where Eric Bischoff not so gleefully recounts him deciding to bring in the Ultimate Warrior and he wants everyone to know that he didn't bring in the Ultimate Warrior. This silly rumour that it was just brought in to make Hulk Hogan feel better about losing to him. That's <laughs> absolutely not the case. No, not not so, not whatsoever. There's a great line in the documentary from Eric Bischoff where he calls the Ultimate Warrior problematic. <laughs> and I just, I love that. Oh, easy. What a so gift. Good. He doesn't realise how woke he's being. <laughs> Well, Warrior shows up, and it's just Warrior. He shows up in WCW in late 1998. Hogan's between title runs, and he's in the NWO, the ultimate bad guy. And much like they did with Roddy Piper, they wanted to do the whole idea of, like, your great rival from the 80s is coming back now and seeing what you've become and wants you to look at yourself and I'm the ghost from your past who's come to haunt you. Which, with the Warrior, you know, seeing as he was a good guy, as opposed to Piper, he was a bad guy back then, it made a lot of sense. Yeah. But on his first night in the company, Joe, he committed the ultimate no-no in this business. Not again. The ultimate no-no in this business, which is telling everyone that he already had beaten Hogan before and he could easily do it again and he didn't want to sweat. So I don't understand why that's a no-no. I didn't think it was much of a big idea because what Warrior says is, you tried to recreate what was simply unrecreatable. 
our one-time epical battle. Epical? Epical battle. You tried to dominate what was indomitable. Wow. And he said that he was great, but he wasn't ultimate. I mean, that he couldn't beat the warrior. Now, Hogan is the chicken shit heel. I don't think it's an ultimate no-no to yeah, say. Yeah, I don't get that. You know, that makes me excited because like, it's a guy who's not been on my show on, on Nitro. He shows up saying, hey, you forgot about me from the past. I'm here to kick your ass. I did it before. I'm going to do it again. Hogan's got something to prove. How's that the ultimate no-no? Yeah, also, like, Hogan has been over for so long now as a heel and a face. He's been on top of the industry for so long. I think he kind of needed his opponent to say some shit like that. Like, yeah. to really, like, to, to prove that the stakes were high. Well, because Hogan was, you know, losing all the time. In yeah, WCW. <laughs> all the time, yeah. And this takes us to our final match of the evening. Thank fuck for that. Warrior taking on Hollywood Hulk Hogan. From Halloween Havoc 1998, we're getting that big Snickers money, folks. Oh, yes. And it is not for any championship. It is simply for bragging rights. This is the same pay-per-view where DDP and Goldberg infamously wrestled until the pay-per-view went off the air. So it's already a cursed evening. I was disappointed straight from the get-go because we got no invisible guitar playing from Hogan. Why Why is this an issue with you? I didn't realise that you were a fan of uh, Hogan's air guitar heroing. What's, yeah, what's going on? It's just really pathetic and I love it. <laughs> it's just like the saddest sight to see this like really sad middle-aged man pretending to play a title belt as an air guitar. I mean, I would counter the only thing sadder than that is a man walking out to very air guitarable music and then just doing a gang sign in the ring and yeah he looks quite miserable hogan mm. he's got the world by the balls and he looks like he's having <laughs> the worst fucking time what do you think he's not looking forward to this i think maybe he's just being a heel <laughs> sour heel like. so, isn't that kind of his whole nwo character sour heel no he's more of like uh you know i'm the biggest star in the history of wrestling brother everyone should bow down to hollywood dude like he's meant to be this larger than life egotist he's meant hmm. to be the guy who everyone claimed he was all those years like maybe he's selling the fact that you know ultimate warrior has historically you know defeated him after his title reign uh, so maybe maybe it's some good i've trying to give hulk hogan some credit i love this right this is the only time hulk hogan on this podcast will get the benefit of the doubt yeah. he's in the context of the ultimate warrior yeah from you that means an awful lot right? <laughs> the best we're gonna get <laughs> i mean he's not even a racist hot dog ultimate no. war he's more of a homophobic spice burger it's not even <laughs> as good like we have uh, some signs in the audience that immediately remind us that we are well and truly in the darkened times of 1998 oh my god i'd forgotten about that fucking sign and they really linger on it for a long time they're good, like look have you seen this have you seen this sign are there about, there's like. two ableist jokes there yeah it's bischoff is a some word i'm not going to say on a podcast b broke or c a word which i reckon i probably shouldn't say in a podcast all of the above is what they go with yeah. and uh yikes that's a big old yikes from me is all i'll it say it doesn't even like make sense i'm not saying that it's excusable in other circumstances but like it doesn't even make sense to make fun of eric bischoff's character using like ableist slurs like that like, like his character is sleazy and a coward and stuff i mean it happens often in wrestling and you know we, we mentioned good friends better enemies where it was a, a bit of a shocking look back in time where we looked at goldust versus the ultimate warrior and you had an arena of around ten thousand people all chanting some really horrible slurs. Yeah. And, you know, I recently did Survivor Series 97 for the Attitude podcast, and they were in Montreal, and similarly, three or four times, you had a much bigger arena, around 20,000 people, all chanting those slurs, with Jim Ross going, well, they may be um, chanting in French, so maybe that's why mm. they're doing it. 
if the audience you're doing it, you don't have control over it. You've got a toxic audience. That sucks, I get. But they chose to be like, look at this. Imagine if they started chanting it. Maybe you at home, when you go to Nitro, <laughs> why don't you start chanting this about Eric Bischoff? And your confusion about this, which made me more confused, is I don't know why they're saying this about Eric Bischoff. He's Mr. Cool Ice. He is Mr. Cool Ice. What does that mean? Because he's, you know, because at this point in time, he's like in the NWO and he's making Hulk Hogan be his motorcycle friend. Yeah. He's Mr. Hide Honcho Cool Ice. He's Mr. I'm the cool one in charge. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Makes sense in that sense. So also like, why is he as the Mr. Cool Ice choosing to single out this one sign that like says all this horrible stuff about him? I just think it shows you that like, it's just always very kind of easy to kind of when you hear little slips here and there of like, oh, that's slip past the network sensor or whatever it is. But yeah, it's, you know, that, that Peacock network in, you know, they, they've got a, over in, in America, they're kind of saying they're going to try to start censoring stuff. And I feel like it's like your hand against the tide. It's not, you're not going to be able to. There's so much stuff like this that it's just, we can't pretend that 1998 people didn't use slurs flippantly all the time. It's going to be so difficult. I think the further they go, or oh, the trickier it's going to get. Because like, where do you draw the line? Well, like, that, for me, like that sign, it's like, if you hear a crowd chanting it, I mean, you often say, you know, it's hard to decipher crowd chants. Yeah. I agree with you. Like, it absolutely is. I only have, like, 20 years of experience. I can barely translate it. That's an excuse, I guess, you can use if it's not very clear. But you've got a sign, boom, right on the dead hard cam there, like, for yeah. a good old period of time. Yeah, they're not going to pick up on stuff like that. The um, only thing I could think of was maybe they were like, oh, because Mr. McMahon is the big heel boss in charge, maybe this is their way of being like, look, see, Eric Bischoff is just as loathed as Mr. McMahon, and yeah, therefore he is a successful heel. Maybe. I, oh, Jesus Christ. Clinging at straws. It's, a, it's an evil barometer of success yeah. right there. Ultimate Warrior comes out. The music is definitely not the same tempo. As the original WWE Jim Johnson joint. However, it's probably for the best because the Ultimate Warrior ain't in a sprinting mood tonight. He does like a little bit of footwork. Like he does a little dancing on the spot. Like he's a maniac, maniac on the floor. And then he kind of... He, he, he runs, but he Jogs. Jogs. It was a... Me, when I'm running. <laughs> yeah, he, he had a light jog to him, the, the Ultimate Warrior. Even that was hard. He didn't even have his inhaler before the match, like, so he wasn't really <laughs> ready for it. Hogan, of course, want to sell this is completely serious. As the Warrior's in the ring, there's a bit of posture and posing. Hogan's on the outside like the cowardly heel. And we get some really thoughtful verbiage from Hogan. I can kill this guy. This guy, he's nuts. I can kill him. Yo, I'm going to kill this guy. Yeah, you back up, brother. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill this guy. If you weren't already dead and replaced with a doppelganger, I would kill you, brother. <laughs> Every time I get rid of this warrior, two more show up. <laughs> First there was the renegade, now this guy. <laughs> <laughs> the hair on the warrior here. What happened to him? Oh, dear. Yeah, it's um not good. It's, it's very minging. You mean... The, like, the haircut isn't so bad. Like, it... <laughs> Oh god, I hope my mum doesn't take offence to this, but it's like my mum's haircut. Like, in the, it looks good on mums. Yes, but... Does not look good on Ultimate Warriors. Yeah, that's it. Like, Ultimate Warrior doesn't seem to imply Joe's mum. No, like, and you also, know. he's like, he's like not washed it or something, or it looks like he's gone through, like, a bush backwards, because it's like, it's all, it's all minging and rat-tailed and, like, not cared for. He started, like, in the end of his, early, like, around 90, in the early 90s, like, 92, 93, he started wearing these kind of big heavy coats, like, to, with all the spray paint and all that. 
glass. And honestly... It makes him look like a homeless person. He, he struggles to get this yeah. big heavy coat off of him. Like, he's really, like, cumbersome and all that. I'm really surprised he chose to wear the big heavy coat, seeing as he's struggling enough as it is with the body mass he has. To add more seems nonsensical. It was quite jarring to watch these two back-to-back yes. wrestle eight years apart. Hogan still looks alright. He still looks pretty much the same. I mean, obviously he doesn't look the same because he's playing a heel version of himself and he had a complete... And that's quite the clever thing, I think, about Hogan in some respects. A little bit of a Madonna there, like... Well, maybe Once. he wouldn't go that far. <laughs> but, like, I think he realised that he was growing old and had to change his look. Yeah. And so by changing it significantly enough, people wouldn't draw direct comparisons. Whereas ultimate warrior he he just looks like a deflated version of himself like, yeah like you've slightly gone out of the balloon and it's got all wrinkly and this puckered. is not the ultimate warrior this is we have warrior at home like mm. yeah that's what this is yeah, yeah this the one is that's been in the back of the freezer for two years <laughs> oh are you sure i'll scrape off some of this old bit like yeah, oh jesus the, the freezer burn <laughs> I I was like zero expectations for this match because the one thing that I always loved most about this match is on the self-destruction DVD, me and Gene Oakland going, what have you two done? You've taken this ring and turned it into a parking lot. So I wasn't expecting much. And my mind was blown when Ultimate Warrior, he stiffed Hogan. He cold cocked him at the start. He punched him right between the fucking eyes. And it sounded really sick as well. And that's probably why the rest of the match was why it was, because oh, I was, you know, Hogan was knocked out of his, you know, off centre, off balance and all that. If it was anyone else as well, I would assume that Hogan had gone up to him beforehand and been like, I want you to, to like hit me for real just for the first one so that people think this feud is legit. Yeah. But because it's Hogan. No. He, and because it's Ultimate Warrior. It ain't Ken Shamrock Invader here. Like. <laughs> yeah, it's not Mick, Mick Foley being like, yeah, yeah, we can get the crowd really into this by like, yeah, putting some heat on you. Yeah. No. <laughs> The closest to that piece of business will be I was expecting Hogan to roll out and be like, slow down, brother, please slow down. Warrior, it was a bit difficult to watch him. He had that really bad combination of a deathly pale face. Like his face had gone grey and his body was bright red. I, I don't mean to body shame. I mean, I do in this one instance, but I don't normally mean to body shame. But his body is disgusting to me. It he, is he looked foul. Just like he had run himself into the ground... You know, that it just felt like he had went... Like, you know, the wrestlers who kind of, they lax in their... You know, they don't, they don't work out as much. Or, you know, their body slows down or whatever. But with Warrior, it's just something think, else is here. Yeah, it's like I abuse is caught up with him or something. Yeah, because he, he definitely is working out. He is ripped still. I mean, he's no Warrior from 10 plus years ago. Like, he's not that ripped. But he is still... You get him in front of, like, most wrestlers. He's still huge. Yeah, definitely. Like... Particularly he, in 98 when the bodies yeah, were getting smaller, exactly, you know? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And yet he he does. He kind of looks like a shriveled muscle. Oh Jesus! Yeah, you know I get that. Like, like he's still ripped, but also it's it's sad and kind of I don't know. Like 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 you've cooked a piece of meat and all the water's come out of it, and now it's oh, just like Jesus. it's gotten all small and but firm and hard. It just looked like it was you know it, it looked it was difficult to watch. You know he looked he looked not necessarily in pain, but he looked like he was missing a lot of what he once had like i felt like there was a, a you know he had the massive body before he never had a gas tank but there was a confidence there that i think was definitely lacking now it felt like he was trying to psych himself up throughout the yeah. entire match and he never quite got to that point where he was actually psyched up you know what he really needs or needed i should say is 
some kind of painting in his attic that would take all of the badness <laughs> from his soul. This is the fucking. This yeah, is this the picture is, of, yeah. of Jim Helwig. It's exactly, what this is. Yeah, it's, it's been up in the attic. All the shittiness and the toxicity that has been growing inside him throughout his lifetime, and it's like weathered over his whole body and face. So uh, watching this match back to back presented itself with some unique opportunities but also some disadvantages i was basically ready to quit my job i was like kevin <laughs> i don't want to do this anymore it's not worth it i don't like it like you like your job moment yeah but this isn't worth it i don't want to do it i'm gonna play roller coaster tycoon <laughs> so like watching it after wrestlemania 6 and at the start i was like oh i think what they're trying to do here is like tell a story of like this is what happened then, but we're different guys now, so it's going to play out differently. Because they start off with the homoerotic knuckle lock, yeah. you know, then they went for the crisscross. Yeah, and, I was and they actually did the crisscross a bit better a this bit, time. Yeah, well, it's because the time. ring in WCW is smaller than in right. WWE, so it was a little bit easier. I, you know what, I don't care. I do not care. Make it smaller, whatever it takes to make this stuff look good, because that crisscross was the best move in this whole match. They properly dropped down, like, and they went fast Yeah, as that's well. true. None of this kneeling bullshit. But it became apparent soon that this was less a, ah, we're doing a commentary and kind of hitting some of the main beats of the last match to the point where it actually was, no, they're doing the exact same match, almost move for move. Like, one of the only actual moves that they do in the previous matches, Hogan does the back suplex. He does it from the same corner, like, move for move, we're going exactly the same, except... Other than the crisscross, everything is in second gear as opposed to fourth gear. They even did the exact same no contact kicks. Yeah. Like, neither of them can fucking sell a kick. Like, I, I can pretend to kick someone better than either of these two men. How is it? It's like, that's that's your job, is pretending to, as though you're fighting someone for real. That's it. That's your job. I, I can't, like, say anything about that because we did... I, I was in a play in my first year of university. It was one of the most miserable experiences of my life. Like, I've not been... I've not acted in a play since... And the guy came in to do a fight workshop with us and he was really confident and he's like, yeah, you can do like a running kick or whatever. Oh no. And uh, he was like, yeah, you can go, you do it, Kevin, you, you do it. And he demonstrated and I ran and I tried to do a kick and pull short and I just kicked a guy in the back. Like, Well, the, your running kick is not how you start off with fight choreography. Yeah, I know that now. You pulling the hair maybe and pretending to throw a punch. Your man was like, he was a mate of mine. I did a bit of stand up with him back in the day. Oh, so it was kind no. of, you know, we laughed about it, but like I, I, you know, like you just saying that there, I was like, I'm not going to comment on doing a kick because like. Well, I can comment because I have actually led a fighting choreography okay. workshop in my youth and you didn't kick anyone in the back I didn't kick anyone in the back no we had a really good time and we did it on the playing field and we got all the rest of the kids to join in as well it was like end of year term fun times I mean the only way, way I really remember it was the guy describing it is I didn't realise the back had a point that was like the funny bone <laughs> so look we were in dire straits here Joe was threatening to quit her job and become a full time roller coaster tycoon streamer. Even so, the crowd aboard. Oh, they crowd did not. They were, all that electricity was gone, and this was like watching that match from before with none of the circumstance and the pomp and the nostalgia. You know, it was in a small arena. The camera work wasn't as good. You know, the lads in commentary sounded you know professionally bored. Let's Everyone just say. looked desperate to find something to do other than watch the match. So we had to do something we've only done once before in the history of how to wrestling. And I don't think it was even on a main episode. It was on a pay-per-view piece. No, to, to draw a comparison, the one time we did this was when Billy was able to pick an episode that we recorded for Pay-Per-View Classic 
which was when we did ECW December to Dismember 2006. And the Extreme Elimination Chamber, when it came down to Bobby Lashley and Big Show, was so boring and we were so upset that we had to put on battle music from Persona 5 to kind of give it a little bit of something. And it worked. It really did. So this time, I put on a compilation of all the battle music from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure to get us through the second and third act of Hogan vs. Warrior Halloween Havoc 1998. It it made it made it palatable, let's just say. Yes, no, it did. It definitely made it more enjoyable as a result. We I, got we got through it, is what I'm saying. We, I, we did watch this match. I didn't quit my job. <laughs> I'm still here to work another day. We had one, two, three, four, five different people interfering. Mm. Firstly, we had Big Show, comma, Small Pants, then Stevie Ray, then Virgil. The fans were just like looking around. Yeah. Wondering why phones hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> we then have an extended sequence. This wasn't in the previous encounter where Hogan whips Warrior with a belt and then Warrior whips Hogan with a belt. Again, they're taking it in turns. The brothers share. Exactly. No, you whip your brother. Your brother's already whipped you. <laughs> and the referee opts not to disqualify them. The referee instead pulls the Ultimate Warrior's hair. Yeah. Which I thought was very strange. I don't understand that. I thought this referee's meant to be kind of, you know, collared down the middle and all yeah. that. I thought, was he a crooked referee? No, because the NWO beat him up at the they end of the match. Up, yeah, and they knock him out so they can even come out in the first place. Didn't understand that. Both men now start randomly falling over and the embarrassment from both is palpable. I think Hogan's a little bit more aware of how badly it's all coming across because unlike Warrior, Hogan's going to have to be there for a little bit longer in the company afterwards. The... Big spot that Hogan has planned. <laughs> Joe, take me through Hulk Hogan going in with a little bit of that mana. So Hogan, he waits while Warrior is distracted by the ref and they're having a little bit of a, of a fight there. And Hogan kneels down in the corner of the ring and he's fiddling with something a little baggy. It looks like it could be drugs. Like It literally <laughs> looks like heroin or something, like a little syringe maybe and a lighter. Come on, Hogan, save it for, for afterwards. Like, come on, what's on? <laughs> and he takes out all this these gubbins and evidently it's fire paper because as he's fiddling with it his hands are shaking his beard starts to drip off his face it's literally black you thought he was bleeding but it was just black droplets yeah. fucking foul black, black slime he's been cursed as well <laughs> it's uh, contagious the, the, the papa roach <laughs> what's his name it's papa shango not papa roach who's papa roach papa roach is a christian new metal band joe <laughs> Cut my life into pieces. Good lord. So the, fla- and- the flash paper doesn't really work. In- it's not like Sabu's uncle throwing a fireball here it's, now. I mean, we know. I can't remember what episode it was in. We were talking about the, the fire paper. But it is notoriously hard yeah. to do well. And the fact that he chose to do it here is just, yeah. It speaks WCW. volumes <laughs> about the hubris of Hulk Hogan, yeah. it says here. So he fiddles with the fire paper. And as he turns around to throw it in, in Warrior's face... It goes off in his own face and it apparently burnt off his eyebrows. Yeah, he said all his eyelashes were burnt off yeah. as well, singed his moustache. I oh. think he's lying. You reckon? Yeah. See, my theory on this is that Hogan, straight away, he gigs himself. And he definitely does. He, he cuts himself because he starts bleeding literally out of nowhere here. And I think it's because he realised how stupid he looked with the eyebrows. So he's like, quickly cut me, brother. I gotta bleed. Hide it. And it did work. But what I don't understand is why do that and not just sell it? Like, as he doesn't sell the fireball going off in his own face. No. It's just like, 
uh, and then carries on wrestling. Like, if that were me in that situation that went wrong, I'd be like, ah, the fire, it's in my eyes. Instead, we have Tony... No, I'm going to slip my head open. Instead, we have Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan going, did you see? He tried to burn that man, Tony. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is even more exciting than if he actually did it. The attempt alone. Then we have Horace Hogan and Eric Bischoff both coming out. Sorry, Horace Hogan. Horace Hogan, that bald man who we saw earlier in the promo package. Oh, the one with the nasty chair shot. Yeah, he got spit open ear to ear by, by Hulk Hogan. Now that is Hogan's nephew. Really? Like yeah. actual nephew? Actual nephew. Doesn't like him very much. <laughs> well, he passed the test, Joe, because him being hit in the head with a chair was just a test to see if he was NWO for life. I am doing the gang sign into the microphone. And Horace Hogan returns the favour by giving an Ultimate Warrior chair shot so light it indicated that if it was any harder, Warrior's arms and legs would have fallen off his body. <laughs> and yeah, Hogan pins him and then comes up and hugs, hugs Horace and says, you passed the test. And for some reason, to go all salacious on commentary, you've got Bobby Heenan going, you know who that is? That's, that's the son of, the, of Hogan's dead brother. That man died and that's his son. Okay. I think that's the only thing he says in the whole match. Like, he is so quiet throughout this match. <laughs> He's just pissed off about that weasel suit business. Now, I was I was taken aback here that this match managed to be somehow worse than the previous one. I think I'm a little bit more riled up about WrestleMania 6 because there are people who would maintain it's this fabulous match. Mm. No one's ever going to come at you. Like, in the documentary self-destruction everyone is queuing up to say how bad it is they don't mention his wcw road and anything else that he and any of these other docs that have come out people would rather forget about it but i don't know how did you get on with warrior hogan 2.0 i mean i didn't like it mm. but i mean i thought it was better than the first one because we all put music to it so okay i gave it one star for the music for the music well i guess the comedy is i was wondering with the comedy of hogan setting himself on yeah, fire no, to be fair that that one star is also for him setting himself on fire <laughs> that was good it's the closest terry belay has ever come to self-immolation here like maybe he just felt <laughs> guilty about everything he'd done in wrestling that was instinctually he set his face on fire here you know what i think i'm calling it now that would be a great way to to end his career i think just yeah self-immolation <laughs> go the full nine yards though do it yeah. properly red and yellow come on red hogan yellow, show you <laughs> so here we go one star for that after the match though i just have to mention this they mm. come out then as well and they cover him in lighter fluid warrior oh yeah they're gonna set him self-immolation about yeah. they're gonna set a fucking warrior on fire but they don't they just cover him in we assume lighter fluid <laughs> and the last thing you see is is warrior just kind of getting up away. and be like Ugh, what is this <laughs> and him slowly sheepishly walking away as the crowd by the way don't make a peep. The only noise they make is I've never heard a crowd burst into laughter quite like that when Hogan set himself on fire. Oh dear. I would say watch it just in case you ever wanted to see like idols falling, you know? Yeah. Like if you if you really have it in for the eighties and want to see it get eviscerated, that like it's the most attitude era thing in my mind because in the other really, show Really you think that's attitude era? Yeah, because the attitude era is all about like fuck what came before us and this is very much like yeah fuck what came before us because what became before us is fucking itself in the ring right now see now i think it's actually very modern and ahead of its time because these days getting some two old legends back in the ring <laughs> to fight each other in a shitter worse match than the ones they did before that's actually very 
concurrent with current day trends in wrestling. Yeah, but they did this in Georgia, not in Saudi, uh, not Arabia, Saudi Arabia. So it doesn't really yeah. work that way. I'm sorry, Joe. That was one of Warrior's last matches. He did do some indie shots here and there, you know, in the years that came afterwards. He did a few like wrestling tours in like Italy and places like that. But Warrior truly segued away. He was no longer going to be a wrestler. And I don't think he was ever going to admit it was because his body had broken down and he couldn't really do it anymore. But he desperately it felt like wanted to have that connection with the fans the fans who i don't really feel were really there anymore because i could tell you as being one in the 90s the wrestling fans of the 90s didn't have a lot of love for the wrestling fans of the 80s there was a big disconnect there yeah and wrestling was not really catering to those people as much anymore so warrior was kind of playing to a smaller and smaller corner of the fan base so he decided the best way for him to move forward it started off by being like an inspirational and motivational speaker, but what it truly ended up being instead was that he was going around doing conservative speeches at universities and, and all the like. Now, there's a lot of articles out there that have went into detail about the things that Warrior said, the places where he went, and in particular as well, the money where it came from. Like There is a few things like the Charles Mercer Society that funded Warrior for some speeches and that's a virulently anti-Semitic group. Like, it runs deep, the hatred here. Wow. I didn't want to spend too long talking about this until we watched that A&E documentary where Dana Warrior, with tears in her eyes, described the reason why Ultimate Warrior got into the conservative talk circuits. Oh, it's just that bad Rush limbo, And the fact that yeah. he had, you know, talk radio talk on radio. the house all the time. He's easily influenced. There was a certain station that was on our house at the time. Fox News. And... You know, Rush Limbaugh was a showman and, 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 and Warrior was a showman. And he's a very talented entertainer. Now, he literally said in speeches, Ultimate Warrior, my wife led me down this path because I, she revealed to me that I was the, my values were in line with hers and she introduced me to conservatism and conservative values. And I was going to sit here and try and find all the old Warrior blogs and read through them because I can admit to you now, and I'm, I'm ashamed to admit this, that I used to do this, but back in 2005, 2006, I would read the Warriors blog because my favourite thing in the world was the Ultimate Warrior self-destruction documentary. And the bit at the end, they were like, can you believe this guy? He's going off doing speeches? What's that all about? What's he got to say? I bet it'd be really stupid. Was he going to talk about distrucity? And I would check out his blog and his website and see what is he talking about? And I'm very thankful to the hit piece that is the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior documentary because I was able to view that stuff for what it was. Batshit insane, hateful bollocks mm. where he talked about every hateful thing you could imagine. I'd read Jim Ross's blog and I'd find out about what's going on in the world of wrestling. Then I'd switch over to the Ultimate Warrior's blog and I'd read about his stupid hateful thoughts and I'd have a laugh to myself. Now, I'm sure other people read that and thought, yeah, huh, queering doesn't make America work. Or they read that and they thought, yeah, no, you're right, Ultimate Warrior. The victims of the Hurricane Katrina catastrophe had it coming and they deserved it and they're subhuman. He talked about black people being primates. He talked about how he was sure that his kindergarten-aged daughter wasn't a lesbian because she was a beacon of femininity. 
You couldn't make this shit up. And the reason why I'm bringing this up now is because Vice News, back in 2017, did an article about this. And they got hit with copyright strikes. As did the Internet Archive for attempting to keep that website up. Because Dana Warrior and Ultimate Creations Incorporated have sued his blogs out of existence. They've tried to wipe the slate clean of all the things, all the spelling errors and all the hateful, bigoted shit that was in there. And the one thing that they can't get rid of is the viral clip of him doing that university speech. Which is the one thing they make out this terrible accident that he made. One time he did this thing. The way they talk about it in that A&E documentary... How dare you, WWE and A&E and Dana Ward, the, the lot of you, that is fucking despicable to make out that it was a one-time deal. Yeah, and that it was a mistake that he, what, I guess he then moved past? That's how, kind of what they implied. They say that this speech, and it's the one where he says queering doesn't make America work, and there's these fucking kids in university, they wouldn't have been around my age at the time, tears in their eyes going, you, piece, you piece of shit, take that fucking back. Mm. I know there's people in the audience who are like, way laughing and clapping because the silly wrestler is here trying to be Mr. Conservative. Mm. And it's it's shocking. They, they make out. She's like, oh, he came back and he was sat in his room and he's like, Dana, I've made a mistake. And I was like, I know he had done something bad. Yeah, and then continue to go on a fucking 12-stop speaking tour funded by anti-Semites where you continue to say bad things and wrote thousands upon thousands of words. And then he switched to video blogs where he started talking about how everyone in the wrestling is a piece of shit or this person's a paedophile or everyone's a drug addict. Or he started talking about Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan's personal lives and how they're all degenerates because they wife swap and just airing everyone's dirty laundry out there. Did he go and have a little cry about that and make a big mistake? Fuck off. And that's the thing that's so disgusting about all of this is that Dana Warrior and Warrior Creations, it's just they know it's a brand and that's why they went up with the Ultimate Warrior getting back into WWE for the Hall of Fame. Is her name actually Dana Warrior? Yes. But his name wasn't Warrior her, Warrior. Her name is... Da- her, his name was just Warrior. She took his name, Dana Warrior. But like, was it and the Warrior kids are like, or he didn't have a surname? No, he what? was just Warrior, like Cher. And so the kids have Warrior as their surname. yeah. And if you listen to the wife and the kids chat in that documentary... Oh, they're so proud of their dad. White woman's Instagram. Imagine that times three, but it's just about making the ultimate Warrior being great and it's full of hateful shit yeah. as well. I don't know. It it rubbed me the wrong way in so many ways. Yeah. The whole thing. So if at least if you're going to be hateful, because like it's obvious that she, you know, she led him down this road. I can't believe she suddenly had like some kind of massive, one eighty turn and gone. Actually, all that stuff we believed was wrong. Like I'm pretty sure she's still listening to Fox News and still loves Rush Limbaugh. Like she didn't actually have anything bad to say about him. No. She was saying he was very talented, but. He led my husband down a bad oh, path. Oh, damn, that talk radio. How many more wrestling lives will it claim, like? Like, let's be honest, she almost definitely would have voted for Trump. Yeah, of course she fucking did. But then in the same way, like, in this documentary, she's making out as though those are hateful views that no one should have. But obviously, like, if I'm sure if you get her in, like, 
interviewed by a different person who is more conservative should be happy to talk about it it's just like at least be consistent if you're going to be hateful be consistent with it so we can all fucking hate you for the right reasons instead of being yeah. like oh i'm confused now i don't know if i should still hate her for her hateful reasons or if she's like for, you know realized that that was wrong and she's like tried to make changes in her life i hate that it makes it so much more hard when they say like oh you know he used to think that but then he had conversations with his daughters and it changed who he was yeah right yeah right like it's that smokescreen of fake compassion yeah which wwe does as well because you know what their excuse at least is their corporation and they're trying to make money and they're trying to make everyone happy and not bring attention to the fact that they're all massive trump supporters and you know that you know that they're intrinsically linked with that establishment but like for a single person to claim that the ultimate warrior now like when they had Dana Warrior dress up in Ultimate Warrior face paint for Pride Month a few years ago. Fuck off. Fuck off. Did they really? Yeah. Fuck off. And it's one thing saying, oh, Ultimate Warrior, the character or whatever. But Ultimate Warrior is a character, right? Okay. He's the face paint. It's the image. Whatever it is. It's the thing you put on the awards to give out to people who've been brave and overcome adversity in their life and, and illness and all that. Or helped out charity. But Dana Warrior didn't marry a fictional character. No. She married the man. And having Dana Warrior in Ultimate Warrior face paint celebrating Pride Month is a fucking slap in the face. Yeah, that's really, really sick. You know? Disgusting. It really is. Now, Warrior coming back into the fold in 2015 and then making out there was this big healing moment and we just felt that the time was right and all that. Warrior's brother, he did a blog post on Facebook, which I unearthed. And, you know, I have to take the word that it's him who's saying it and all that, but there's no reason to believe it's not. And he talked about how Warrior was broke. He had no money. That's why he went back and the wife was going to leave him because they were accustomed to a lifestyle that he could no longer provide. So funny. And do you think it's really coincidental that Ultimate Warrior's big change of heart and him having all these conversations and wanting to heal the wounds between him and all these other wrestlers... Did that and him going back to WWE was that before or after 2K put him in as a special character because it felt to me like he was put in as a special character in 2K and then went to WWE and did the Hall of Fame and then signed on as a seven year ambassador and maybe after his incredibly untimely and tragic passing literally a day after he returned but yeah like him coming back and he did the Hall of Fame speech and all that and he looked really unwell yeah and he does this big speech on Raw where he also looked incredibly unwell he was like purple and, you know, the brother in the blog post was, like, saying, you know, he was, like, literally on the phone to him the day before he died. And the family were walking ahead of him, wouldn't slow down. Like, he couldn't even keep up with walking with them. Wow. I think there is a culpability there with regards to the family and to WWE with him passing as young as he did. Because, like, 52 or whatever it was, that is way too young for anyone to die. And to die in those circumstances where he's literally saying, one day... You know, one day everyone's heart beats their last beat and the next day he's, you know, he's keeled over with a heart attack. Honestly, though, I'm surprised he didn't die younger. If his dad and his granddad died in their early 50s and the lifestyle he led of anabolic steroids, ridiculous exercise, like Mm. to the point of it just being not good for you anymore, plus the stress and anxiety. Yeah. Plus all the hate in his heart. Yeah, that's a burden to carry around with you, I imagine. Yeah, like, I just can't imagine... Like, I'm Honestly, I'm surprised he lived as long as he did, because, like, with all of those extenuating circumstances, I'm genuinely surprised he didn't get, like, a heart attack in his 40s. I think the, the most beneficial thing that happened from his return for the Hall of Fame is that he got to see that he at least 
apologized and mended the bridge with the likes of Jake and you know yeah. and stuff like that you know him him and Hogan their kind of apology yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah brother you know I, I apologize you, you've nothing to apologize for but you did wrong by me oh I know that's why I'm apologizing Ow, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I know Vince likes to bring people back into the fold but I think he likes money a bit better yeah and I think Dana Warrior being, and the Warrior branding being part of WWE, it's, I think it's a case of them just trying to make money. Oh yeah, it. obviously it is. That's all, that's the only reason the WWE do anything. It's I always mean, about money. Dana Warrior was signed on with the creative team as well. That I don't understand because like, what experience has she got? Being married to a man who's not been relevant in the industry for the last 20 years? All I need, the only bits I could find out was that she worked closely with Lacey Evans. Of course she did. <laughs> There's a surprise. Hey, yeah. her and Drake Wurtz, they can get together and <laughs> make their own wrestling company. Just the doc, the, the new A&E doc, it was creepy. To, yeah. the, the way they talked to the daughters and to Dana, it was creepy. It's like the three of them were living this version of events that wasn't true did you ever find out more about the expert in that documentary oh yeah the expert they have on the historian about the ultimate warrior where they say the he, PhD. he has a phd i found out his phd is in the new testament yeah so yeah he's a bible professor in halifax i, I don't understand what makes him qualified to talk at great length about the, the life of the ultimate warrior he's something like a shit brian zane like you could have gotten like a much better person <laughs> in to do the yeah, job get brian like, zane. who actually probably knows a little bit more but like i don't know it feel like there's so much work going on still to rehabilitate the image of the warrior because they came out with all, yeah. you know, that documentary was them trying to say, oh yeah, he was controversial, but, and that's, that's like, you even acknowledging this stuff, I'd rather you pretend it didn't happen at all because this kind of like half acknowledgement that he did all this hateful conservative stuff and said all these terrible things, it was like a flash in the pan yeah. and not something that was in his heart. I mean, that's that's really disrespectful. Yeah, hate fueled his entire life. Yeah. Like, I watched one of the clips of Dana Ward handing the awards to, like, that little kid, Connor, who died so young. And she spends, like, 85% of the speech talking about herself, like... Well, I'm not surprised, given that Ultimate Warrior himself probably wouldn't have even given the kid a handshake. Yeah. I mean, it's just... There's some unpalatable people in wrestling... But I think it's safe to say that this is a different shade. Like, Ultimate Warrior, yeah, he's got... He had his problems... And controversial, yeah, if you have to call it that, or complicated legacy or whatever it is. It feels like still, like, the dark side of the ring thing for me felt like, well, people are still scared to call it what it is. That it's someone who was, you know, disparaged and disliked by his peers with good reason. Mm. And someone who has got a whole generation of fans who despise everything that he stands for. For good reason as well. We still have to cater to people who grew up watching him in the 80s and pretend that it's all right. What I think is distasteful, though, is just the lack of honesty around the why they're doing it. And it mm. is, it's just because of money. And I don't even yeah. care that it's because of money because, yeah, as we said, you're a corporation, you employ lots of people who, you know, all have families to feed. But be just be honest about it. Be upfront about that fact. In none of the documentaries did it mention the reason why they brought him back and the reason why he got such a push in the first place is because of the investment they put in there. Exactly. They're paying off. That's all they is. want. Yeah, the there money was still back. some juice left yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? If you want to sell warrior masks, t-shirts, toys, whatever reminds you about like that the cartoon, cartoon character. character, fine. 
why is it that we have to have Pride Month and a really, really sentimental, like a really emotionally charged award? Or like, they bring up these random fucking ass moments to, to talk about the warrior and celebrate him. They've got a statue of him in Titan Towers. Yeah, burn it, burn it down. And the, it's, the fact that it's brass makes me want to, like, it reminds me of Saddam Hussein statue. would have pulled that fucking yeah. shit down and yank it, like, you know? Uh, uh. And yeah, you know what, if you've got like, you know, I feel like Hulk Hogan gets more you know, it gets more backlash from fans than Warrior because it's just Warrior. It's more recent. It's isn't more it? recent, is it? I guess. And the fact that I was going to say the fact that Hogan's was caught on tape, but like the fact that on Ultimate Warrior did video blogs, like how is that not circulated all the time? Because Dana Warrior keeps getting them all taken down, and I guarantee you there will come a time when the video of of him saying queering just to make America work that'll be gone too, and then they'll probably get rid of the documentary where they mention it. You know. They, it's it's image rehabilitation, but it's so disingenuous. What's the really scary thing is is the generation that comes after you and I, or should I say maybe after that generation still, is the generation that won't have access to all of the internet information that you know the the archivists that are keeping track of like these blog posts and these video diaries and things like that, who might just believe what they're told when the yeah. corporations say, look at this amazing hero, isn't he a cartoon character come to life and don't we all love him? And they might go, yeah, he seems great. What a fun, intense guy. He runs to the ring. He's unique. Yeah, I mean, I, I take all this stuff, you know, and I can believe it because I was there. I read it. I saw yeah. it. I saw it with my own eyes. But, you know, I... I it's a I, bit frightening how they can just erase it. But that's it. If it's gone, you know, I, I was missed. you know, I'm a kid doing a science degree. I, I, where's my evidence? You know, and if it's not there, I'm just going to see, well, it's hearsay and circumstance yeah. and all that. Just rumour. And then something comes from being a bona fide fact to being, ah, some people had axe to grind. Yeah, they just don't like him because all the wrestlers don't like him. You know, because he pissed everyone <laughs> off. That's that's why they're saying it. I, I guess, get this as well, folks. No one on the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior DVD was grinding an axe or burying him or doing a hit job because he was homophobic no, they or racist. <laughs> Couldn't give a shit. Yeah, they couldn't. It was all about that other stuff. Yeah, there's layers to the to the reasons why people hate him. And I just thought the one thing that really, really made me sick was that the arena where he was inducted to the Hall of Fame that was literally used as a place in New Orleans, right? That the city they were in, a city that he called a pornographic cesspool that had everything coming to it that had happened. Wow. And the, the arena where he gave his speech was literally used to house the people he said were subhuman and deserved everything that happened to them because of the life choices they made. He stood on a stage that a few years prior would have literally had pe- huddled masses having their homes destroyed. Maybe it was the good people of New Orleans who killed the Ultimate Warrior. And they just, they all got together and they were like, you know what, we've got to get rid of this piece of shit. It's a cast of Yeah, no one else is going to do it, so we have to. I just feel like I don't have to pretend that, you know, that he was something that he wasn't. He was a hateful figure. The only difference he made in my life as a wrestling fan was that it made me think, oh, there's good sport in wrestlers burying other wrestlers, <laughs> you know? And like even Jim Ross, like I, I chose one quote from the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior to, to save because it made me laugh. Jim Ross said of him, I have never seen a wrestler with less ability than the Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> and like if that's what your peers like Jim Ross is one of the nicest guys in the business straight shooter like. <laughs> and that's like what he's got to say about you and you're also a racist homophobic nasty horrid melted wax candle of a man Ugh. it makes one wonder what the future holds because I know that that ambassadorship that you know the hiring of Dana and all that and the integration of the ultimate warrior creations into WWE's philanthropic endeavours I know there's a time limit on that because it's a contract. And 
I think these documentaries coming out, I thought that would have provided more of a backlash or more of a kind of a, hey, why are we venerating this guy? And it feels like both documentaries in their own ways held back the full fire. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. And I think it's because... The power of Dana Warrior and her legal team? Yeah. I mean, there's part of me thinking that, Jesus Christ, if there was an episode that we were going to get a knock on the door for, it'll probably be this. But never in my mind have I ever thought that genuinely you could erase wrestling history and there's never been a more clear example of it. It's happening right now. You know, it is happening. All this stuff has been washed away. The official line of events of what happened from WWE is so out of whack. And even the unofficial guide of what's happened also seems so out of whack. Yeah, when even the documentary by Vice, the the dark side of the ring, that covers like episodes about literal murderers and rapists and slave owners, like the darkest of the darkest shit, and they go gentle on him. Like, what's happening there? Well, there you go. It's the power of the warrior. Let's check out some of your tweets and your Facebook posts. And we're scrunk. I mean, back. Uh, Joe, we've gotten some... Tweets and messages about the Ultimate Warrior. And as predicted, these tweets have broken the How To Wrestling land speed record for most use of the word prick. (laughs) Uh, I I was wondering what word people will gravitate towards and prick and variations of the word prick seem to be where people have landed with the Ultimate Warrior and his legacy. Oh, I think people have been a bit more descriptive than that. Over on Twitter at How To Wrestling, we've got one from Tyler TMC who says, Cunt. That's it. <laughs> Just a simple one word, beautiful, excellent. CM Johnson over here. What's crazy is the WWE is still making Ultimate Warrior toys, despite the deserved disgust of many wrestling fans currently of the man himself. Though he strongly suspects that this He-Man Ultimate Warrior toy they brought out, which has him in She-Ra's clothes, is some sort of piss take posthumously <laughs> on the Ultimate Warrior. To wind up his ghost. <laughs> Next up from Joe Del Toro, I could repeat the word oof until I run out of space and that would suffice, but I will add that no one's a better case study for WWE's narrative spinning. Vile human being, not even that good at his job, enjoys an undeserved legacy. He's wrestling's Winston Churchill. Oh my god. Maybe somebody needs to go and write homophobe underneath that statue <laughs> in Titan Towers yeah. like, so people know what it's all about. I mean, I agree with that in that you know, it's kind of a real classic case of WWE's narrative spinning. But I never felt that WWE has had the full control of a narrative quite like this. Like, they've never before, not with Bret Hart or Hulk Hogan or any wrestler who's come across controversy in their career, have they, like, literally been able to completely remould it to do whatever it is because the guy in question is no longer with us and the family, who it's also in their interest to redefine him, they're there modelling the clay along with WWE. So, you know, if you were someone who truly loved and cared about the Warrior... It should be so far removed even from that now, I would imagine. That's the thing, isn't it? Because they've changed their minds so many times on what they think about the Ultimate Warrior. As as Philip Goad says on Twitter, the most back and forth WWE has ever been on any superstar. Self-destruction is positively the worst slash piece WWE has ever produced. And now they have the Warrior Award. (laughs) Also, if you hate yourself, watch Hogan and Warrior from WCW Halloween Havoc 98, which we did. So I guess we do hate ourselves. Yeah, but we uh, we found a way to spice that up. So we love ourselves. We treated ourselves. Care. That's exactly what that was, yes. Kevin Davis here, all sizzle. All homophobic, misogynistic, xenophobic sizzle. <laughs> Next up from HXC Coney Island, distrusity doesn't make the world work. <laughs> Mr. Sleepy here. This one, I think, 
really kind of sums it up in a way that I think almost all wrestling fans could understand. Shit man, shit in-ring, shit promos, unbelievable gimmick. Hmm. We've had words to the effect from a few people going, you know, it's kind of frustrating, but also very understandable. That if you would ask, you know, Joe Schmo on the street. Sorry, that's no relation to Joe. <laughs> but like, if you just got some random person on the street who had no knowledge of wrestling and you said to them, right, describe a wrestler. I'm going to sketch artist it right now. They'd probably end up with an approximation of the Ultimate Warrior. It's true. Yeah. Next up from Angry Taco 2. The prime example of toxic masculinity. Being told that bigger is better, louder is power and change isn't needed when you have both. His refusal to accept reality and instead falling into his own delusions is the most heartbreaking aspect of his life. Yeah, and I think that fact that that was the most unresolved piece of it all, the fact that we kind of didn't do any of the work. It felt like WWE or the family or anyone involved, like his, his peers, like that hard work wasn't done. It was like all that happened, then there was a period of absolute insanity and then he just came back and patted people on the back really aggressively and all was forgiven. Yeah. I... I'm someone who wants to see their, you know, burnt bridges be bended always. And if you can work your way towards being a better person, all that, great, fine. You have to put some work in there. I mean, yeah, I mean, come on. He he fucking did absolutely nothing like, you know, it just felt like he went away for a bit and then he just showed up. Yeah. You know, and I think you need to do a little more to deserve... the the kind of the the forgiveness angle you know on the other end though we've got a tweet here from jan doyle band who says i got into wrestling via arcade games and i always picked the most spectacular looking ones and warrior was that wrestlefest in particular i used the team of warrior and hogan he was just so much a superhero in real life basically he was everything i love big hair and epic makeup showmanship but you couldn't tell i liked that and for me it forgave a multitude of sins but i'd say that primarily for me He's a character in a game and not necessarily a wrestler. Yeah, and I kind of, I was hoping with the kind of the, the legacy management with WWE, seeing as, you know, the main thing about the Warrior we talked about is you know, how toyetic he is in many respects, you know, how marketable he was. That's what Vince saw in him. But like, I wish you'd just reduce him to that. Yeah. That Warrior Award. Getting the, his family involved. That's that's where you're making it. Like, make him a video game character. Grand. Like, yeah. that's fine, you know? You, you know, if you want him to be a cartoon character, fine, be it. But the insistence on constantly linking the man with yeah. the gimmick, like, that's fucked. I don't like it. Shade here. Then. Now. Forever. A piece of shit. <laughs> One from Dustin Freeman here. I didn't grow up watching him, so I have no rose-coloured glasses to view him through. All I think about when I see him is how much of an absolute garbage human being he seemed to be. A nightmare to work with in the business, and hateful and ignorant outside of it. Uh, I've got one here which might uh, be a good point to end on. Kind of a bizarre what-if scenario. Space Walrus here asking us, Can you imagine if they'd actually trusted the warrior to carry the company through the 90s? (laughs) Like, and this is another, like, aspect of Warrior, which is probably, like, so kind of frustrating, I guess, for lack of a better term. It's because of people like him that other folks who are shitty in their own way, like Hulk Hogan and whatnot, I don't think I've ever heard you as sympathetic or as, like, understanding of Hogan's position in the business (laughs) as during this episode. Because when people like Warrior are around, they make people like Hogan seem quite reasonable yeah, and which, talented which is fucked yeah, you know, it really is <laughs> and yeah i think that is kind of one of the many kind of aspects of warrior that you, know, you could spend hours and we have trying to pinpoint what it is but what it is is it's a smorgasbord of things that are frustrating and annoying and offensive and hurtful and i feel like i've come to the end of this episode 
with very, very little time left indeed for Jim Helwig, the man, but maybe a slight appreciation of, oh yeah, them colours look good, make some toys, lads. But even at this point, I feel WWE and Dana Warrior and the family, I feel like they don't even deserve that. I feel like they have squandered just the basic iconography of the Ultimate Warrior yeah. by these last few years. No, absolutely. You know, to put it quite frankly, there ain't no more juice left, lads. <laughs> Trying to spit out that gum, right, you know? <laughs> and Joe, to you, who agonised throughout the research and the several multi-hour long documentaries I made you sit through, the promos that have Macho Man Randy Savage palate cleansers in between... I, I come to you at the end of this episode, cap in hand. Yeah, you bloody better. I am so fucking sorry. On your knees. <laughs> and if, is there any way I can make this up to you for what I've inflicted upon you here today? You better give me a really nice, fun episode to do after this. Yeah, what, any, any kind of guidelines for an episode that you'd like next? I mean, I'm tempted to just say, let's just do Bret Hart again, because I need, <laughs> I need something shocking. I need, I need a proper hard reset. Okay, well, a hard reset, something that may be a shock to the system, it might shake you up, and someone who legitimately probably looks like they could have beaten up the Ultimate Warrior on any given day of the week. It's been in the pipeline for a while. I'm very excited. Our next episode is going to be about one of the most terrifying women ever to set foot in the world of wrestling, Luna Vachon! Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. Do you know a little bit of Luna already? Have you seen her? I think she I popped up. know what she looks like. And yeah, she was in... I can't remember which pay-per-view classic we watched it was. Ah. But she was in like a ballroom gown match or a bra and panties match or something. And she was just really scary. <laughs> I, that's all I know about her. She's scary. She's got a scary voice. She wears blue face paint that makes her look all veiny and scary i love her look she's so unique i'm it's, really excited yeah. to learn about her it's going to be a really interesting one because you know she's someone who i grew up watching on my tv screen but honestly i'm really excited to find out the backstory in the history it turns out you know anytime there's a woman who was around in wrestling in the 80s or 90s you know, as we said in the Sherry episode, they were a rare breed to be on the main show. So her background, her family as well, the great Vachon wrestling family that includes luminaries such as Mad Dog Vachon, a man whose leg you saw removed and used as a foreign object in a recent pay-per-view yeah. classic as well. So yes, we are after your favorite matches, moments, memories, and the history and the lasting impact of Luna Vachon. Do not forget to use the hashtag how to Luna Vachon, that's L-U-N-A-V-A-C-H-O-N. I'm always excited to talk about one of these historic women in wrestling, and I think Luna Vachon is going to be an absolute delight and a much-needed palate cleanser from the absolute nightmare that was Jim Helwig. <laughs> so, yes, the post for that will be available, as always, on our social channels. Don't forget to give us a follow over on Twitter at HowToWrestling or Facebook.com forward slash how to wrestling and as always your home for any and all how to wrestling updates old episodes recommended bonus listening and watching etc how to wrestling.com until next time when joe and i do everything in our power to try and forget everything that's happened here today yep it's a goodbye from me kevin and a goodbye from me joe and we'll see you next time on how to wrestling see ya